This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday morning. Time to get at it. Start over. It's going to be a great show for you today. We will be talking politics. Find out a little bit more about what's going on with Donald Trump. Or should we call him John Miller, the publicist? Crazy stuff coming out. Interestingly, um, where was all of this information? I don't know. The last nine months. Now it's coming out. What? We'll be talking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, all about uh, the political scene. We'll get caught up on that, what's going on there. Also, um, you know, we got to talk about some of the pressure that Bernie Sanders now is getting to get out of the race. We'll go there as well. All with Joe Cannon and, uh, you know, also more headlines, more information, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. That is the goal of this show. But first... Let's get to Caitlin Thomas, find out what's going on in the headlines. Caitlin, what's going on around the country? Well, good morning, Matt. Good morning. Um, President Obama took several sharp swipes at Donald Trump on Sunday during a commencement address that could be the beginning of a forceful effort to help elect a Democratic successor as president. Addressing Rutgers University's class of 2016, Mr. Obama never mentioned Mr. Trump by name, but his target was clear. He said, the world is more interconnected than ever before, and it's becoming more connected every day. Mr. Obama told the graduates, building walls will not change that. Hillary Clinton has always made known that she wants Bill Clinton to have some kind of role in the White House should she become president. But over the past few weeks, she's begun to reveal more about what exactly that would be. During a campaign event Sunday, the Democratic presidential candidate said she plans to put the former president, quote, in charge of economic revitalization. Over the course of the campaign, Clinton has repeatedly said she would seek her husband's advice if she takes office. A father and son have been arrested for allegedly kidnapping a mother and her four teenage daughters in Utah. The two were caught in Wyoming after a full-scale manhunt. The men, Flint Wayne Harrison and Derek Derek James Harrison, are accused of luring the woman to a house and tying them up with zip ties. U.S. investigators from the National Transportation Safety Board were dispatched to Texas on Sunday to investigate a charter bus crash that killed eight people and injured 44 on Saturday. Officials reported the driver lost control and the bus rolled over on a Texas highway, but offered no further explanation pending the investigation. The victims included seven women and one man, ages 50 to 83. The bus was taking 51 passengers to a casino hotel near the Mexican border when the accident occurred about 45 miles north of Laredo. And finally, Matt, this one's for you. A swarm of aggressive bees have been attacking the town of Concord in Northern California. Despite Mm. the swatting and spraying, the bees are relentless. Got me right in the eye, said Mike Malley, a Concord resident, as he was stung. Police received the first calls about the aggressive bees on Friday, and from there, it has only gotten worse. It's believed the insects insects are so-called killer bees that took over a hive of ordinary honeybees in an amateur beekeeper's backyard. When the beekeeper removed the infiltrated hive, it left the bees with nowhere to go. The insects are behind the deaths of two dogs and have attacked a number of people in the area. Wow. You don't want to mess with the bees, though, because the bees, I think in Concord, they make like, don't they have wine and, I don't know. you got to keep the bees alive, even if they're killer. Well, and, and don't take away the bees' house. That's why they, the killer bees had nowhere to go. So ben, nobody... says, ben says lots of things are killer. Really? Yeah, like we had sweet rolls. He's like sweet rolls killer. killer. Do you remember Ben? Yeah, I remember that. So so I think bees. this means killer in a much different. 
This means real killer. Much different way. Yeah. You got to watch out for the bees. I'm more concerned about the dogs that are dying, if you want me to be completely honest. Really? Yeah. Dog lover? Yeah. Hmm. Well. There you go, Matt. There's always cats. Thanks, Caitlin. Well done. Nice glittery shirt, by the way. Always. Uh, what's the, what do we call that? Sequined glitter. It's just glitter. Uh, let me just tell you, um, Terry does the news all the time when you're not here. Mm-hmm. Never has he ever worn a sequined shirt. Yeah, my nickname is Glitter Girl. So Glitter Girl. <laughs> I got you. Sweet. Thanks, Glitter Girl. That's what we'll call you from now on. Gl- Glitterazzi. Hey, um, interesting weekend. I uh, I don't know what it is. It's like I'm trying to catch up on sleep, you know? So I fall asleep everywhere I go. And ever since the weekend started and all of this sleeping, my eye has been twitching. So people keep thinking I'm winking at them. Ben, do you think I'm winking at you? I, If I didn't know any better, yes. But knowing not. our relationship, I... I'm pretty sure you're not winking at me. <laughs> That's why Caitlin's shirt was hard to watch because my eye just kept – the brightness just kept bringing more twi- twitching on. Um, here's the deal. Donald Trump, you may not have heard, apparently um, had a really incredible press agent back about 30 years ago. Yes. I in the that's, 80s. That's the timeline. Probably yes. 36 years ago, depending when in the 80s it was. Aggressive. He was an aggressive press man. He was huge. An aggressive. He was huge. An aggressive press agent named John Miller. And let me just play the tape for you. And then you decide, does this sound like Donald Trump or does it sound like just some guy named John Miller? John Miller. John Miller. Just he apparently retired from the Trump School of Broadcasting because he okay. sounds a lot like Donald. He did. Um, let's play this one here. Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday afternoon talking with uh, Trump's campaign manager Paul Manafort over this about oh, this okay, PR yeah. thing. Yeah. So Paul, Paul Manafort's like, well, he, he's trying to give, I guess, the Trump side of this story. So you have this this recording. It's kind of hard to hear at times, but. <laughs> At some point, the guy says tremendous, right? Nobody yeah. says tremendous. Yeah. Well, unless you came from the school of broadcasting. I guess. But there, the, there's a news report on Saturday Night Live. They played that clip, and the guy goes, come on. That's Trump. <laughs> he goes, there's two times in my life I've heard the word tremendous. tremendous. When Trump says it and when Trump playing a PR guy says it. <laughs> and so <laughs> – so, Jimmy Fallon says it too, playing Trump. There, there's Yeah. He uses that as kind of his catchphrase, right? Yeah. And there's some pausing, the pacing. You listen to it and you're like, that's <laughs> Trump. I mean there's no way that can right. – but, but here's the PR guy, clip seven. Now, are you seriously – is the campaign seriously claiming that that isn't Mr. Trump? I could barely understand it. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell who it is. Uh, Donald Trump says it's not him. I believe it's not him. In 1990 – under oath, he testified that he did use the name John Barron. And in 1991, he told People magazine that he did use the name John Miller. So this has already been admitted 
previously. I don't understand why now. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know those facts to be true or not. I just know that he said it's not him. I believe him. I don't even know the relevance of this, frankly. That's a great point. So he cites his sources, and they deny the validity of the sources because they haven't seen it. Th- this is one of the reasons why being disorganized is valuable, because he's yeah. like, I don't even know. If, I don't know if those facts are true. That's right. That Donald said this many years ago. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I got to get out of here. Yeah, you know, yeah, and you don't have to admit to anything. No. So I wonder, does Trump train his staff in some of his own I Trumpish think, ways? I bet he doesn't. I bet he just says. I bet he doesn't tell him anything. I mean, I think that's the key to Trump is you don't want to know. So just then you can say, I don't know. So I just don't know deniability. What that's about. Interesting. That's how I sort of try to function around here. Just don't tell me, then I, I don't, don't have to cop oh, to anything. This is how I get through my day. Saturday Night Live had a skit where they had Trump sitting at his desk and the, the comedian playing Chris Christie coming in. Chris Christie's heading up the vice presidential yeah. search. Uh-huh. And this is how uh, Chris Christie walked in the door. Oh, no. Was it that? No, no, no. It starts out with Trump on the phone. Okay. So here's clip one. Mr. Trump is the real-life inspiration for Iron Man. (laughs) Who am I? I'm his publicist, Joey Pepperoni. (laughs) No, I'm not Donald Trump in disguise. This is just what classy people sound like, okay? (laughs) And then a minute later, the Chris Christie character walks in and goes, Joey Pepperoni! Joey Pepperoni! (laughs) That is, they, they say that for years in the 80s, all the papers knew it was Trump calling. They said back in the day, every journalist that would get a call from this Miller knew it was Trump. That's just – that he was just a crazy millionaire. And they just went with it because yeah. they were getting access. Uh-huh. And, and he was – he had a lot of stuff going on back then, right? There was like – that's when he was losing money, you know, falling into bankruptcy. His businesses were. And the interview we heard the clip from was about the – ex-wives and current wives yeah. and was he a jerk to them and all that kind of stuff i mean it's it's but so snl is making hay yeah they're doing this didn't they and then they did something about uh the vice president search they did uh click play clip two this is chris christie <laughs> and trump discussing the vice presidential search uh, i'm honored that you asked me to help you find your next vp i appreciate your help i really do i need someone experienced loyal Strong. Yeah, that sounds like somebody I know. It sounds like Chris Christie. Wait, who said that? Did you hear that? Where did that come from? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> what have you got for me? Uh, well, I thought one strong option could be uh, Jeb Bush. Okay, but seriously. There you go. Ah, but seriously. They're both pounding the table. I thought it was funny. Hey, here's uh, a crazy idea. Now, um, we've been doing the the primaries for, what, nine months? It feels longer, but probably, yes. And it seems like some of this information could have come out during the primaries. Well, yeah, but you have to hold on to things, too. Why? Just in case something big happens. Like he wins the nomination? That's an option, yes. Because it's it seems like a lot of stuff is coming out this last week. Well, they could have come out for months. To be fair, BuzzFeed has been on this for months. Have they? They've been reprinting interviews he's done in magazines, uh, the interviews he done uh, he's done on radio programs that he's gone on, and just talked about all kinds of 
of his relationship with uh, with women he's worked with and and other women in his life, and then also just different positions he's taken on things and how he keeps kind of going back and forth depending on the decade mm. and whether his stock is up or down, it seems like. So BuzzFeed yeah. has been – they've been doing their journalistic work. Yeah, sort of. But It seems one-sided, but yeah. It seems like you really <laughs> would have been like – let's say CNN should have been – they should have brought up you know this story about John Miller year, a year ago. Yeah. You'd think. Wonder why they didn't. Hmm. Seems strange. Others are thinking that also the uh, Re- was it Reince? Reince Re- Priebus. He has the most difficult name. He's the yeah. head of the GOP. He's the 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 national committee, and he went on uh, several shows yesterday and talked about the planted, as he's calling it, a planted PR story. Clip five. Uh, a, a you know a planted story by somebody in the Washington Post from 30 years ago that really has no consequence at all to, to the, the issues facing this country. I think that's what every American is going to be faced with. These are things that he's going to have to answer for, but I also think they're things from many years ago. And I think that, you know, as Christians judging each other, I think is, is, is problematic. I think it's when people live in glass houses and throw stones is when people get in trouble. And so, you know, as Hillary Clinton, is a classic Clinton operation, now suddenly these things are coming out. It's not necessarily that people make mistakes or have regrets or seek forgiveness. It's whether or not the person launching the charge is authentic in their own life and can actually be pure enough to make such a charge. So the head of the GOP National Committee claiming this is a classic Clinton operation. Ooh, where stories like, get dropped in the media. This is a left-wing media conspiracy. There you go. So we have Clinton claiming right-wing media conspiracies, yep. and now we can claim a left-wing. There you go. So we have dueling hmm. dueling wings of conspiracy, or conspiracy, whichever way you want to go with that. Yeah, or wings-eye. Or wings-eye. <laughs> or dueling-die. Um, this I, is I, getting I, weird. I, I think the media groups had this, waited on it, until it was opportunistic for them. Because what the New York Times dropped their story about uh, Trump and his relationship with women he has worked with, uh, they put that on out on Saturday, perfectly timed for the Sunday morning yeah. political shows. Interesting. You know, and, well, and it becomes – so Trump's a master of occupying space and time on mm-hmm. television. So this is now getting the, the press cycle. What he needs to do is he just needs to go be on every show and he'll blow it up with his double talk. This morning, yes. Yeah. He's and probably doing it as we speak. But then, then they'll release the next thing because you know Trump's claiming that uh, Washington Post has about 20 people digging into his past, mm-hmm. all in an effort to bring him down. And so you know, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot more of this apparently. I heard some people discussing that would be a good uh, tactic for the Hillary Clinton campaign is to release, release – Whatever allegations, charges, whatever you know, whatever they're going to try to counter, whatever he says, yes. release that early enough so he has to answer it every morning when he's on TV. That's a great. If idea. he's going to continue just to call into all these shows, yeah. then make it so that they ask him, "Hillary said this about you," instead mm. of "What do you?" You know, instead yeah. of him just going off, he has to react to her every single morning, and, and you, that's, that's how they can that, kind of turn. That, that would be brilliant. Yeah, and he's there's going to be enough stuff. Usually they wait for like the October surprise, yeah. Because there's really only one or two stories, but apparently this can happen every <laughs> they might, day. They might have a long string of audio bites Seems and all like kinds. It's going to be a really long summer. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Oh well. You got us, folks. We'll make fun of it.
the entire time. We will try to, you know, sort through it, give you the information you need. All of it's not, you know, important. So we will get you the information that you need. In fact, uh, to help us do that, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be with us in just a few moments. We're going to talk all things political, find out what else should be on our radar that we're not paying attention to. Stick with us, folks, helping you uh, sort through it all. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, we're back talking politics, and who better to walk us through the crazy, I don't know, bogs of politics but Joe Cannon. Joe is a, uh, we call him our Washington insider. He was chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day in 2000 or around 2002 and uh, also has run for um, Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA was also named editor of the Deseret News, an Intermountain newspaper um, with a, a great reputation. And he's now currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is uh, an organization trying to lower your fuel costs and improve the market here in the United States so, so fuel costs can go down. But we like to pick his brain and ask him what is going on behind the scenes when it comes to the political world. Joe Cannon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, good to work on the Dylan intro. Yeah, do you like that? We yeah. knew you'd love a little Dylan. So, yeah, well, we're living in a political world. That's right. What do you think, Joe? Uh, anything new? You know, Donald seems like, man, it's like the press woke up. Now they're, they all have a story about Donald's past. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we should start there. You know, I was this week uh, talking to a friend of mine in New York City. Uh, it's a very prominent liberal uh, person, and and uh, has all all kinds of credentials. And I think they they uh, my Democrat friends are discovering what we learned on the Republican side of things in the last several months. Which you can't, you can't, you yeah. can't get at Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this guy was telling me he said Joe. Wait till you read the Washington Post story tomorrow <laughs> on uh, on Trump. I go, you know, I, I will read it. I did read it, in fact, and, you know, talked about how he was, you know, pretending to be his own PR guy. It's a very interesting story. And, and it just reinforced everything many people already believed, both positive and negative. In other words, Trump is not vulnerable to the same kind of... Uh, you know, traditional political back and forth. He is, yeah. he is outside uh, the kind of the normal range of uh, how you know, how people react uh, politically. So I, yeah, I, uh, you're right. The press is unloaded on him, and already, you know, of course, there are denials of, of that Washington Post story that he was his own um, PR guy. And then you have, I guess, the New York Times had a story about how you know ill-treated some model was and she writes back no i i was treated really well yeah the the point is is that the traditional attack and 
any of the traditional political analysis is just not it's not going to work this time. Is, now, I don't, that doesn't mean he's going to win. I'm just, yeah. just going to say this is categorically different from any political uh, contest in anyone's living memory. Talk to me as a as an editor, a, a past editor. Why? I mean, the primary has been going on for nine months or whatever, and um, these stories were always there. And so then he becomes the prime the the. Uh, the, the nominee, basically, or the designated, uh, or the whatever they're called. What is his role now? He's the well, he's the presumptive pres- nominee. presumptive nominee. Um, and now the stories start. I mean, it seems like the press's job would have been to throw the stories out when they had the stories, not not bank them up uh, for when he becomes the presumptive nominee. Isn't it, is that how the media works? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. They for. The Deseret News is not the New York Times or the Washington Post. True, huh? Uh, but uh, and you know, I not I'm not saying this is true, but there are plenty of people who believe that uh, most of the major national media writers are simply Democratic operatives with bylines. Right. So, so you will get uh, you know uh, Trump will get much harsher criticism than will Clinton. However, just to be fair, uh, Clinton is going to get a lot of negative uh, press herself. Yeah. Uh, and she, she, she can't help it. I mean, we have, we have two really interesting uh, presidential candidates, and uh, they're, they're, they're both... I mean, it's. I think I've already said this on the program before, but this is going into the World Series, and your two starting pitchers have uh, earned run averages of 28. <laughs> you know, it's like you you can't. Uh, it's hard to overstate the negatives of each. I mean, when you get the contest, it gets down to well, my negatives are less high than his negatives. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's it's going to be a really down and dirty campaign. They both know how to fight dirty. They already have shown that, and they will will just keep going. You know, the, the one difference between Trump and most and all of the Republican candidates, who seem to be a little more gentlemanly, you look Trump. Whatever happens to him, he's going to hit back twice as hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I feel no shame uh, that he's talking about a woman. That's not you know, part of his equation. Yeah, that that's that's old school. In fact, talk to me about that. Um, a lot of these kind of the younger journalists today, they they weren't even they weren't even around when some of the Clinton issues were coming up, and um, and even a lot of these stories about Donald Trump. I mean, these these people weren't even born. And so, what I wonder is, is there a gap? I mean. It, it seems like Hillary, just by her name, by her title, by all of that, should should have a lot more uh, support by the the younger generations than she's getting. And is it just they didn't they don't know her? Yeah, you know, I didn't do. I haven't done the sort of numbers in my mind, but it's clear that most of the millennial the millennials yeah have no actual knowledge of the Clinton administration. They won't. They won't remember that it was that uh, many of the positives that did happen. Right. That time. That there was a big peace dividend. The, the economy did well. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton is a pretty popular guy. He's a very likable uh, um, 
popular president and popular former president by and large. So uh, I actually believe that's the reason Trump is going after uh, the the Clinton the Bill Clinton bimbo heritage is to to tell a younger set who grew up in a much different era when it comes to how people think about uh, sexual allegations and and uh, sexual harassment. You know, uh, it's, it's much much it's a much uh, stronger negative feeling toward that today, especially among younger people. So they get reminded of that. And, and then Trump goes into the, you know, Hillary is the enabler and mm-hmm. Hillary is the person who went after the accusers. Uh, when today there's a very strong presumption uh, on behalf of the, of the uh, accusers. So, you know, I think um, it, it's either calculated on his part or it's just as brilliant, feral, uh, animal response <laughs> to things. I don't know. The brilliant, feral uh, animal response. But I mean, because that, that, that does seem like what it is. In fact, actually, now you just maybe, maybe made sense of it to me because maybe, maybe what uh, his enemies are doing are pushing his mistreatment of women as soon as he, as soon as they can, maybe so as to inoculate the other side, the Clinton side of their history. I mean, maybe that's what they're trying to do is get all this out early. So everyone forgets oh, yeah, about no, it in no, three I months. Think, no, no I, I think that's true. But uh, the one of the of the many many anomalies of this of this race is you have two people who have extremely high negatives who also have universal name ID. Yeah. So if you're if you're talking about you know uh, Rubio versus Sanders right now, if we were talking about that, there would be plenty of opportunity for each side to help define the other side in terms of negatives. So you could do that yeah. because nobody knows. I mean, we know and people who are following politics know that 80, 90% of the people don't even care about the presidential election until it gets very close. So you could paint Sanders however you want it because no one knows the senator from Vermont. Mm-hmm. And same with, same with Rubio. The, uh, but when you've got two people who everybody knows, everybody already has an opinion of, this mudslinging is uh, maybe be going to help at the margins, but Hillary is not going to improve her favorables, and Trump is not going to improve his favorables. It's not going to happen. They, they're already well-known. People who love them love them. People who hate them hate them. So it's just going to be – it's on both sides. You know, again, talking to a really good friend of mine, a, a political guy who's very, very, very close with the Obama team and, and the new – Clinton team, and he's going, you know, here's the deal. Uh, a lot of people don't like Hillary on our side either, but they don't like Trump more. Right. And so what, what you're really getting is people are going to be thronging to the polls because they hate Trump, and people thronging to the polls because they hate Hillary. I, I mean, the um, <laughs> the headline, kind of the bumper sticker for the whole unity, I know that's one of the things you want to talk about, is sort of the effort at unity on the Republican right. side of things. It kind of one of the headlines I read was the the urge for unity trumps Trump hate. Huh. So there are you know a lot of Republicans who can't stand Trump, but they can't stand Hillary more, and uh, and so that's it's going to be, that's a unifier yeah. that 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 there is the unifier. Then um, let's do this. Let's have you comment before we go to break on um, Trump's publicist. Um, from 30 years ago, John yeah, Miller, yeah. 
Um, does that does it matter? I mean, is is he just an eccentric billionaire thirty years ago pretending to be a publicist? Does it really matter? Is that just more Trump that we'll just forget about and think he's everyone will think he's quirky? Well, I think people generally think he's quirky. My own uh, plenty of people who read that story thought that's a little bit more sick than the norm. Than the norm, okay? <laughs> yeah, sort of weird, right? Um, but uh, that, that's you know that's the story my friend in New York was telling me about, and you know, and, and I'm just going to say it's not going to make a material difference in the Trump support. All it does is reinforce what many, many, many other people already believe yeah. about Trump. Now, if no one knew Trump, if, if, if Trump or Bernie Sanders or Marco Rubio, that kind of a story would be devastating. That would be, oh. that would be a devastating oh, yeah. story. But where you've already got your high negatives and your support built in, hard to see that, that, that a story like that moves the needle on someone like, like Trump. Just like if there was a new story, some allegation about Hillary hiding documents or something, right. uh, it's not going to move the needle. No. You know, people already either believe that she's totally capable of that or believe she's not capable yeah. of that. And a story in the Washington Post isn't going to change, move the needle uh, either way. Right. The lines are drawn. Joe, let's take a break. We're speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider from FuelFreedom.org. And uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. We're going to find out what uh, Joe's take on uh, the Paul Ryan-Donald Trump meeting was all about, and is there going to be unification on the uh, GOP side? We'll get into all of that information, but uh, first, let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. little theme music for our good friend Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Today he is uh, he's walking us through the uh, just all things political, but really when it comes down to it, he's, he's trying to help us understand what's going on inside the GOP. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. What did you think of the, uh, the Donald Trump summit with Paul Ryan? He came in. I mean, honestly, they covered it like the Pope. I know. I was watching CNN, and they they actually spent minutes showing Trump's airplane, you know, on the oh. tarmac at, at, at National Airport. He's almost there. He's getting on. He's getting <laughs> off. You know, so he, you can't I, beat I, that press. Holy cow! Yeah, it's a phenomenon. I don't know, but the the summit itself. I mean, I'll go way out on a limb and make a prediction that Trump. And uh, Paul Ryan are going to find out that they love each other, <laughs> and they're all going to be all in. And part of it is Trump, I guess. I, who, who knows? I, I have no idea what really goes on in his brain. But somewhere, even in that brain, uh, it's not really attuned to a lot of uh, politics in Washington. It's got to figure out that the Speaker of the House is going to be really, really important to him. <laughs> And it's very likely that the House is going to be Republican, no matter what happens. If Trump wins, it will certainly be Republican. Uh, if he loses, that's a different question. It won't matter. But if he wins, he's going to have to he's going to have to work with Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan knows that. And uh, I, you know, I heard on MSNBC a really interesting 
take by a, a commentator very, very far to the left, but who had worked in, in the White House and the Clinton administration. It, he said, look, when you're in a meeting with the president and the speaker of the House, it's pretty hard to tell which one's the most powerful. Hmm. Uh, and so the, the speaker has enormous power to block or move whatever agenda the president has. And I think Trump knows that. Ryan knows that. The other thing that's happened, I think, uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of anecdotes here, uh, is a week ago on this very show, a week ago, I would, I would have just said, it's not possible for Donald Trump to win. It's simply not possible. Yeah. So let's not spend much time on it. Since that time, you've had three polls in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Florida, which show in Florida and Pennsylvania, uh, uh, Clinton has a 1%, which is basically a dead heat. Yeah. And you've know, got Trump up by four in Ohio. Reuters came out with a poll, and there's certainly no Republican shill. They showed a dead heat. Clinton 41, Trump 40. What? Uh, you've got, a, you've got yeah. a Yale professor out there who has a model, predictive model of winning presidential elections. He's been right eight out of nine times. And the one time he was wrong, the model didn't account for Ross Perot oh boy. Uh, to- tossing the election to Bill Clinton in 1992. So there's a guy, and he says, look, the Republican's going to win. He said, I could, it doesn't matter who the candidates are. He said, my model is just going to tell that. Now, is any of all of that true? I don't know. But what Man. it does say is that plenty of people are thinking, plenty of Republicans. Let's get, I'm back on the unity thing. Plenty of Republicans are saying, look, maybe he'll win. So we, maybe we ought to consolidate and and behind him. And I think that's happening. You're, you're getting a lot of people who are kind of finding reconciliation here. Yeah. Orrin Hatch uh, said he'll, he'll help. I mean, it's, yeah. it's weird. It's like, I guess that's the key is if, if he looks like he can win more and more people can jump behind him at first, nobody, it's like he was a leper and nobody wanted to go near him. No, that's exactly right. And people are saying, well, you know, he, maybe he's going to be the president, and he's going to be the president. He's going to have an R after him. So you have some some people who are all in for him anyway. Yeah. Another set of people are saying, uh, well, he's our guy. We go with the party. Maybe we don't like the system, but he's somehow one in the system. We're going with him. You have another set of people, and these are uh, some of these people I think may be delusional. Well, you know he's going to win. He's going to be the president. So yeah, he, he doesn't have much in the way of ideology, and Maybe we can help him come to to see all these right views. Yeah. So you've got a set of people like like that. I I think a best anecdote is just a just a fluke. I was at a dinner last week and and with a bunch of pretty interesting people, but one of them was a very prominent Mitt Romney supporter and financer, very wealthy guy, but also very strong. Uh, philosophical orientation to the right. He was a skeptic of Romney at the beginning because mm. this this person was very conservative. He didn't know if, if Mitt was all that conservative, but he's all in. He's all in for Mitt, and now he is all in for Trump. Wow! So I, so I go to him, and I, I don't want to identify him anymore, but a lot of people would be stunned to know this person. And I said, "Are you kidding me? I mean, why? Tell me why you would be." He said, because he's not Hillary. Wow, it's just the anti-Hillary. At the end of the day, this guy is, you know, he knows that Trump has nothing, no philosophical connection with this guy. Uh, And this guy is, like I say, rich and 
politically conservative, and he's just he's on. He's he's angry at Mitt. I mean, this guy was with Mitt. Just any Mitt supporter listening to this, if I mentioned this guy's name, would know absolutely who he is. And he's mad as yes. a wet hen at Mitt right now for all this talk about a third party candidate. Yeah. And he's just saying, look, third party is suicidal. A third, a third party on the right elects uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, just like if Bernie Sanders decided to run as a third party candidate, that would elect Trump. It, it, it would undermine uh, the Clinton campaign. So, yeah. The, is the uh, money going to flow then, do you think? Are the, these big donors like this friend, um, are they going to start putting their money behind him? I think that's been one of the no, things he's struggling no with. Question, no question. This guy's going to put money by him, behind him. But already you've got Sheldon Adelson. Yeah, holy cow. So, so $100 I, million? I'm all in. Yeah, I'm all in for $100 million. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> it's a good start. You know, 10% of what donors. you need. Yeah, <laughs> to to get you where you need to be. So, yeah, I think again uh, on both sides, you're gonna have well, the Clintons already have a, a lot of money and a lot of sources to the money. Uh, on the Republican side, a lot of people who maybe you thought they'd stay on the sidelines are gonna say that you know we don't like Trump, but we don't like Hillary more, so we're we're gonna go. We're gonna. I mean, well, time will tell. I mean, the next week, few weeks, you're going to start seeing fundraisers, and we'll just see what happens. It seems like uh, it's clearly in fundraising mode at this point. Yeah, right. And and he's probably not a great fundraiser, is he? I mean, he's used to probably just giving money, not necessarily having to go beg for it. Right, and I think that I think what's going to happen is, uh, as with the quote unification close quote, where people are sort of uh, closing ranks. Uh, you're going to see you're going to see a, enough of that on the money side that he's going to be okay, hmm. but we'll see. Yeah, he's not a very good supplicant, right? That's not his uh, that's not his mode. Yeah, you need somebody that'll kind of suck up and humble themselves and schmooze. Uh, I mean, and I I don't I don't see that he does that. Maybe he'll have his people do the schmoozing. Um, well, I, I mean, people. I will say. The whole, as you say, the whole papal visit to Washington, D.C. last week, uh, you know, you had, you had a bunch of people coming out. Now, were they delusional? Were they just saying what they they felt like they had to say to rationalize themselves? But quite a lot of people said that they found him to be very charming mm-hmm. in the one-on-one circumstance. You had people who, some people who were like really didn't like him. So, well, you know, I never met him. Now that I met him, I didn't see maybe he's kind of... He's a pretty nice guy. He's a yeah. interesting guy. He, was very, he had a lot of that talk last week. Well, you could also uh, almost imagine him with the doors shut and the press out saying, okay, here's the deal. I have to do what I have to do to get people. And you know I'm bringing people in. So some of what I'm saying is just to bring people in. And Well, there are, there are people who believe that the persona that you see was created for the reality TV show. It's a fairly... A, a number of prominent people who know him say that. Right. Now, now a lot of the, a lot of people on the outside have not seen any evidence to say that that's true. His default position seems to be the uh, the uh, kind of vulgar, uh, direct uh, guy. So you know, maybe <laughs> maybe he is different. I, I, I've heard people who know him say that. So I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I I can't give any testimony on that, but 
but I will just say, uh, uh, to me, a surprising number of very senior political, you know, senators and and congressmen were kind of impressed with him in their one-on-ones. Do Do you think uh, Trump will be able to siphon off any of Bernie's younger people? So I think that's largely a myth. You, you saw the the uh, the uh, uh, exit polls in West Virginia, and and literally forty percent of the Sanders supporters said they would vote for Trump. But I do not. West Virginia is not Sanders' land to start with. Right. In West Virginia, you had uh, the Senator Clinton or the Secretary Clinton went in, <laughs> and in in every deep way possible insulted the people of West Virginia, and they don't like her. And so I, I, I don't take those exit polls seriously. I just don't think... But they were, they, right, so they on the coal issue, right? So any other coal yeah. state, uh, maybe he could pick up some of the the followers. He could. He could in, the, in Appalachia, which Appalachia includes uh, big chunks of uh, Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. Ohio, as well as West Virginia. Uh, yeah, he's going to do really well there. He's going to do very well, and she's not going to do well. I think the bigger issue is, are the Sanders, you know, the strong, super strong Sanders supporters, are they going to vote for anybody but but Bernie? Right, and, right. And, and so that, that that is going to be the interesting thing. Is there some way that Secretary Clinton could ignite that base? If she does that, she has a good chance of winning. I mean, just just electorally, you know, uh, real quick politics, but lots of people have looked at, you know, you, know, you need 270 electoral votes to go uh, to win. She's a lot, lot closer to that yeah. um, by any standard analysis than, than, uh, than uh, Trump is. I mean, you know, basically you've got... Um, she she goes in there. Then again, this is the real clear politics. And she goes in there with 227 locked in votes. Hmm. He goes in with 143. You got 168 toss ups. So he's got to win basically all but 40 of those 168 to get to 270. Wow. And that and that includes that that's he's got to win Arizona, Colorado, Florida, uh, Iowa. Uh, Missouri, uh, New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia. Those are mm. all those mm. cross-up states. So that is, that's going to be tough. You know, is, is it impossible? No. I mean, he could win. Uh, he could lose, let's say, he could lose Ohio and Pennsylvania and still get elected president if he won every other one of those states. Wow. But a chunk of, the, a chunk of those states are states that... Yeah, that are at best purple. That, that's what we talk about purple. too. I mean, it's just the the wall, right? The blue wall that he's got. Every GOP candidate has to overcome Im- Im- immediately. Um, At the presidential level, yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, just anything else we need to know about. Anything else on your radar as we let you go? Well, we didn't talk much about uh, Secretary Clinton. I would just say that you know she, she has a lot up. No question about that. But there still seems to be this trouble on the horizon. It's just. At a very very nasty convention in Nevada. And, yeah, you know, I mean chair chair throwing, yelling, booing. You know, Barbara Boxer was booed. <laughs> if there's any senator besides Bernie Sanders who would connect with the Sanders people, it would be Barbara Boxer, and and she's booed. So you've got this 
you know, more than a little turmoil uh, brewing on the Clinton side. So she's going to go in. Uh, will the party reunite the way that Republicans have? It's much more plausible that the Democrats will unite around Hillary Clinton than that the Republicans would rally and unite around Donald Trump. Mm. Having said that, you have a very substantial chunk of their base, their hardcore base electorate, who is pretty doggone grumpy right now. <laughs> They're so, mad. Yeah. Oh, Joe, good stuff, though. I mean, it's it's a crazy season. Crazy season. Well, we appreciate you, Joe Cannon. Uh, keep up the great work there at fuelfreedom.org and uh, in lowering our costs for fuel. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe. Our Washington insider. Great insight, man. To have to have people in the know that are going to the parties where these people are asking for the money and just, you know, candidates everywhere. It's good to have Joe on board. We'll take a break, come back, continue to uh, kind of work through this political issue. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what do you do? It's political season. And Donald's Donald, right? So now that you're hearing the stories about Donald, it shouldn't, it really shouldn't surprise you. Um, one of the things that I did want to bring up, and I, I brought it up a little bit earlier, is uh, this, this article, this news story about um, the Washington Post. So... According to uh, associate editor Bob Woodward, you know, from Woodward and Bernstein fame, Watergate scandal, um, he revealed Wednesday that the Post, the Washington Post, has assigned 20 staffers to Donald Trump's story. And um, in addition, the paper plans to do a book on Donald Trump. And which is, you know, seems a little strange. Like... Where was all of this many, many moons ago when Trump one by one was picking off members of the GOP? Didn't have this level of attention attached to it. But remember, too, that uh, the Washington Post has a new owner, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, who, you know, is – in fact, there was – there's the, the guy's just got a ton of money. But he also is um, – he's, he's not good friends, let's just put it this way, with Donald Trump. So – they're, they're rivals, they're arch enemies, let's say, and uh, now all of a sudden Bezos is asking his people to put together tw- 20 people to just make sure that we're telling the story. He says his goal is to make sure that everybody knows who Donald Trump is if he's going to become president. You know, that's great. Again, though, where was the post the last nine months? And – Really, honestly, where were all of these? Where were where was the media in general? Now it seems like they're scan, you know they're scurrying around <laughs> trying to find dirt, which I don't think will be hard with Donald, but I also don't know that it'll stick. And again, I don't. I think they were just making hay. They were making a ton of money on you know the, all the press and all the excitement around you know people running for office. At some point, though, we all have a role here, and 
the sad thing about the media is the media has a constitutional right. I mean, they're mentioned, they're mentioned in the Constitution, right? Free press. And you got to do your part. And we're not just here to be entertained. We're also here to be educated and informed from day one. And I don't know that we should be holding on to our stories for the next four months so that we can release it in, six, in the sixth month right before the election. It's probably better that we get these stories out as soon as we can and inform the electorate. Anyway, just a little bias right here from an old journalist student. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the show. Again, the goal is to give you the information, the tools, the motivation you need to help you live a healthier happier life, really, to be the handbook for you for life. Not everybody, uh, you know, we're not born with a handbook for crying out loud, so we got to get it as we go. But wouldn't it be great if we could just deliver little insights, the tools you need to really hone in and, and become the best person you can become? And holy cow, have we got a great guest for you coming up in just a few moments. Um, Simon Wheatcroft will be joining us. If you haven't heard of him, Imagine being a kind of one of these ultra marathon runners, okay? The the guys that run 160 miles. Ultra marathon. That sounds hard, right? That's a that's a difficult task. But uh, how about even like if you have to run that 160 miles through the the Namibian desert? That's hard, too. I mean, I've done it. Okay, not really. But it's hard. Yeah. Uh, apparently the truth detector has gone off. Um Here's the deal. This guy's blind. He's completely blind. And he is a solo, mega, what are they, ultra marathon runner. Truth. There's the truth. We're going to be talking to him in just a few moments about what motivates him, what, uh, I mean, for the rest of us, we would just, you hit your first tree and then you're done. Like, I'm not doing that again. That was dumb. But not Simon Wheatcroft. We're going to find out. What really is the key to staying motivated and to finishing his goals of running um, a race through the Namibian desert? What, what helped him finish that race? It's, it's amazing. We'll get to that. We'll also you know, tell you some fun stories. I'm going to have to do a little um, Circle of Life segment where I, I found another video of a nest. Uh, last week we found a nest story where an eagle – came to feed its its little chicklings, whatever we call them. And it was it's just a circle of life. It's just how life works. So I, I found another – I found a robin's nest. We'll be talking about that coming up on the show as well. Plus other headlines, other information you need to understand life. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Conservative Glenn Beck is set to meet with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg on Wednesday as part of a summit addressing the social network's approach to covering conservative news. In a May report, Gizmodo alleged that Facebook intentionally suppresses conservative-leaning news stories. Quote, Mark wanted to meet with eight or ten of us to explain what happened and assure us that it won't happen again, Beck wrote. Zuckerberg, while maintaining that the report wasn't accurate, vowed Thursday to listen to feedback from conservative leaders. 
Dozens of people were arrested in Washington state on Sunday, two days after protesters set up a blockade on railroad tracks, leading to a pair of oil refineries as part of a global protest over dependence on fossil fuels. The protesters were camping out on railway tracks at about 70 miles north of Seattle, refused police orders to disperse. All of the 52 protesters under arrest were charged with trespassing, while one person was also charged with resisting arrest. Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus isn't concerned that Donald Trump hasn't released his tax returns, he told ABC News, who pointed out that it's usually a routine process for presidential hopefuls. Quote, I don't think the traditional playbook applies, John, he said Sunday on this week. Priebus suggested it's up to the electorate to decide how, a big, how big of a deal Trump's taxes actually are. The European Union claims Google has been unfairly promoting its own shopping service and edging other services out in its internet searches. And the European Commission wants the company to pay for it. The commission could hit Google with a 3 billion euro or $3.4 billion antitrust fine in the near future, according to a recent report. The case has been ongoing since 2010 and three attempts at reaching a compromise with the EU or the European Union have failed. Okay, Matt, this last one's for you. You'll find this one pretty humorous, I think. An Orlando, Florida woman escaped serious injury, and a turtle is expected to be okay after an unusual incident brought the two together on Interstate 4 earlier this week. Mm -hmm. According to the... Oh, wow. The crowd's applause. According to the Florida Highway Patrol, a vehicle ran over the turtle in the westbound lanes of the interstate near Deltona, which propelled the turtle into the air. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yes, the turtle, the force from that, from... The impact threw the turtle straight into the windshield of another westbound vehicle. Oh, that poor turtle. So the turtle went into the windshield, bounced off of the passenger seat, and then hit back into the dashboard of the other car. What? Emergency crews treated the driver, and she was okay. She, she was just okay. had minor cuts um, from the glass, and the turtle hit her. And a little turtle And then they picked up the shell. turtle. The turtle was still moving, and they took the turtle and released it into the water, and it swam away just fine. Yeah, it's dead now. Well, I'm, I mean, it, it seemed to be fine. It was just, they said... Have you One ever of seen the a turtle said without the a turtle shell? looked a little shaken up. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would that look like? Can you when imagine? When a turtle looks a little shaken up, do its eyes get bigger? Like like, the lady, it was just, apparently was laying on the dashboard, just back on its shell, just oh, like wiggling its feet. Turtle. And the lady pulled over and a, a motorist pulled over and called the cops and said, hey, a turtle just threw flew a windshield. See, that's part of the circle of life. <laughs> this poor turtle, again, just why did the turtle cross the road? I don't know, but well, it ended it was up hit getting by hit by a car, car. <laughs> and thrown into the windshield of another car. <clears throat> wow, that's sad for the turtle, but uh, but it's lucky fine. for the cop, for okay. the family. Yeah, yeah, the lady and the turtle are fine. And then they, the, the turtle's fine. The turtle is it's dead. got a hard shell. Stop. I don't know. The f- point of that story was that the turtle survived. Well, we don't know. It's it, we do know. The turtle How is probably know? I don't know. It's probably those shells are in hard. a ditch. Trying to find itself. Probably suffered from a concussion after it got hit. Probably doesn't and then you And then you left it, let it go into the water. That's the You're kind looking of at dangerous. me like I did it, Ben. I, well, you're reporting on it and you're supporting. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is Terry not brought, my fault. Terry brought up a great point. He's probably shell-shocked. shell-shocked. That's a great point, I Terry. think you bear some weight of the responsibility. Um, it's always the journalist's fault. Sorry, Caitlin. You may as well get used to it now. Get out. Thanks for your news, even though it was tragic for this turtle. <laughs> Who's shell-shocked? Good stuff, Talk though. Talk to you later. Thank you. The uh, uh, poor turtle. See, we don't ever hear the turtle side of the story. We just know he's walking around just shaking. Amnesia. Mm-hmm. These concussions have been going up a lot lately. 
And uh, they, the thing is, what really happens to a turtle? Do they have a concussion? Of course they do. Last time I got hit by a car, I wasn't thinking for like two days. You weren't? Well, not clearly. Well, what? why would you attribute it to the accident? Just asking. You went quiet. I don't know what to say to that. Just say thank you. <laughs> Just say thank you. Uh, Simon Wheatcraft should be uh, Wheatcroft should be joining us, and um, we, we'll we'll get into a pretty cool hero story. I mean, this is a guy that's blind that's running these ultra marathons, right? Yes. I mean, Kaylee, she's not blind. She no. did a Ragnar, which is two hundred miles with twelve people. She's gluten intolerant, though, so she has her own struggles. Yeah, it's not really the same, or even I know, but I mean, even Simon way, could but... be gluten intolerant, right? It's just just trying to figure out some way to relate Kaylee to this because really she ran like what twelve miles? Yeah, yeah, but three different times. And no, I mean the, she one, drove, of the se- one of the segments was two point three miles. The others were split between you know six or so. I mean she she ran twelve miles. Yeah, not even comparable. Ultra marathon. We just watched a video. He goes eighty five miles and then he falls down. You're like whoa, eighty five <laughs> miles. I mean, we have cars, right? What are yeah. we doing? Well, what's the deal? We've got a car. Um, I've got uh, another story here about a Florida man catches a 400-pound fish with a wrench. Mm. This is a good story. This is the catch of a lifetime. That's how Ryan Hain, Hein of St. Petersburg describes the 400-pound Goliath gro- groper. Grouper. 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 Yeah, grouper. It's a fish. Hardly know her. Uh, grouper he caught last week. Listen to this. The bait... Uh, he used a lure that he made out of a number 11 wrench. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of mechanics know uh, that you don't really use an 11 for anything, Heinz said. So at least I never have. He said all he did was attach two hooks to the lure and then tied it to his line. And it was the first drop and the third pull uh, before the fish came on and took the jig. Hmm. I knew it was a big fish immediately. Yeah. I mean, a wrench is expen- is is heavy. So, and I'm I'm going to imagine a, a number eleven wrench might be of some size. It seems like it would be a lot bigger than, a, let's say, a six. This could happen, or a seven, unless the numbers go the other way. So he he used it as a jig, and the rod and the reel uh, held up despite not you know being really designed to handle such a large fish. He was using fifty pound test line. It was his daughter's daughter's Barbie fishing pole. Are you kidding? No, brought, but, it, but it cl- close, like probably one you just buy. It's probably one for your normal size lake trout rather than a 400-pound fish. But. but he killed it. Yeah. Well, no. no I mean, I, well, I thought, he, he did a great job. Catch and release. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when you get a 400-pound fish, though? You take a picture and then let it go. Yeah. Because you, you can't. I mean, you can try to bring that in and dress it and all that, but it'd you know, be messy. Now his plan is to attach hooks to fork and a butter knife. Right. Why not? All you need is the flash. You just need that shiny flash mm-hmm. and it gets their attention. And he had a wrench that he wasn't using. Yeah. I mean, number 11. So if you want a big 400 pounder, throw on a number 11 wrench. Doesn't matter if it's metric or whatever. Doesn't matter. You don't even know. I don't know what the 11 measures. I'm not able to talk wrenches like I should. 
I got to look that up next time. Before. <laughs> or just get a butter knife. Yeah. For heaven's sakes. So um, that's, by the way, that flashy thing works too because you should see Ben looking at Caitlin's. Caitlin's wearing that flashy, shiny mm-hmm. blouse shirt thing. It's called sequin. Sequin shirts. Yeah. And Ben, she's, every time she walks in, Ben's like, yeah, she's, yeah, 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 she's yeah, bedazzled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So walks in, it turns this whole room into like a disco ball. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then Ben turns on the disco music. And then everyone's kung fu fighting and off we go. Mm-hmm. So I watched that last night. Kung fu panda. You did? Yeah. Why? My son wanted to watch it. Oh, that was nice. Was it your son or was it more you? No, it was my son. And now I look up at the end and... It, everyone's kung fu fighting. I'm like, hey, that's a good song. I like that. You know that his son's like, let's watch something else, Dad. <laughs> no, we're watching Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Sit back. Today's May 16th. Nothing to see here day. Please no, move along. I, I just put no, that. No, 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 that's the day. Okay. That's what it says. Nothing All to right. see here. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. That's the name of the day. Then, I mean, Terry says he... I just put that in there as a space holder because there's there's really nothing to speak of today. There's there's a few things, but they're really not funny and nothing to see here. It's like National, what is it, Electronic Assistant Day? Or I, just, who cares? Just stuff. Come on. But there's something you do care about. What Netflix? Last yes. week I told you Tell that uh, Netflix saves us each individual person that watches Netflix 160 hours of commercial time. Yes, thank you, Netflix. That same company did a whole bunch more data analysis, and they've come out to find that um, the average Netflix subscriber watches nearly two hours of programming a day, and he goes, that doesn't sound all that bad until you factor in a few comparative figures from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. On average, we spend fewer than 40 minutes socializing and communicating a day. 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Yeah. And fewer than 20 minutes reading. And fewer than 20 minutes exercising. Yeah. Totally. But two hours a day watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. And the problem? You don't see an issue with this? Not for Netflix. You don't see maybe for you a change of behavior? Yeah, I do. Maybe turn off the but whatever you're watching? There's so much to learn on Netflix. Yeah, there's a new Voltron cartoon coming out at the end oh, of the month. I'm pretty brother. excited. They just came out with... Uh, no, what don't even worry about it. Not what? a lot. What? Nothing. Just keep just keep going with your story. Don't want to get hung up on anything nerdy. Well, that's it. I mean, we're not we're not reading. We're not socializing. We're not exercising. But we're watching TV. We, you need to have a fast. You need a tech fast where you get rid of all your technology and you just go talk to your family. Oof. A lot of people do that right around divorce time. Mm, that'd be tough. I just suggest you do it before you. Divorce. I would say my marriage benefits by the lack of communication. Well, sure, your wife would say that too. Except <laughs> uh, it just it flies against all the the great wisdom of the researchers today. It's a different world, Matt. You need to talk. I mean, we talk, but it's not you know, not too in depth. But you don't need to talk about vulture. Like so, Voltron, it's, it's called man. Voltron. Everyone loves that. It is a universal love amongst a certain group of people. A certain group of weirdos. <laughs> Not to be rude. I mean no offense to those that love Voltron. <sighs> That's crazy news about Netflix. Man, we're spending so much time we're not talking. It's been kind of nice with Ben lately. We've talked a lot more. We even talked on the way in today. 
Yeah, that was that was nice. It was about a minute. Yeah. 30 seconds. I'm pretty good. Are you good? I mean, yeah, that minute like, is good for me. We can go back to our, to our screens. I got like five of them here. Yeah, you so. do. I'd like one of them. Uh, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, what would motivate a blind person to become an ultra marathon runner and then to run a solo race across Namibia, the desert? Are you kidding me? Well, we've got him on the show. Simon Wheatcraft will be up next, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, most of us will never attempt a run of 160 miles. Even less will we be likely to do it through the Namibian desert. But only one person is attempting all of that. And uh, believe it or not, he's going to do it all while being completely blind. Here to discuss his amazing feats as an ultramarathon runner is uh, Simon Wheatcroft. And uh, man, Simon, welcome to the program, my friend. I know. Well, you know, it's my pleasure to be on the show. It's uh, I loved watching the videos about you and your your life and your your work. Now you attempted this race in the Namibian desert, right? And you were unable to finish it the first time. Are you planning to do it again? Yeah, I'm going back. You know, the plans already in motion. I'm, you know, changing the way I train, mixing up a little bit, just so I can go back and try again. You know, the reason I didn't make it essentially is because. Trying to do it alone, yeah. Um, I took a lot of damage um, just running over all the rocks, you know, like twisting my knees and my feet. And in the end, I just took too much lateral damage to my leg, and yeah, it stopped me. So now the plan is train up, get used to that lateral damage, go back. Wow, what is it like? In fact, talk to us about how this all started, your running career, because. I mean, you you struggled proposing to your girlfriend, right? Climbing a mountain is that is that talk about that story? It's amazing. Yeah, that's how it all started. Um, a few years ago now, I was over in Yosemite actually, and I was um, attempting to hike up Half Dome. I'd never, you know, hiked up a mountain before or anything. But I thought, you know, how hard can this be? I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I'll get to the top. I'll, I'll propose to my girlfriend. It turned out it can be quite hard. I was sort of slipping and tripping and stumbling a fair bit, and the chance of dying seemed you know, relatively likely. So then I had to make the very difficult decision to quit you know, this attempt just because I couldn't see, and you know, that was something very difficult to live with. I did still propose. You know, we did get married a few weeks later over in Vegas. But then returning to the UK, this idea of quitting just because I couldn't see really plagued me. So then I decided... You know, never to quit again just because I couldn't see. I wanted to push, see what was possible, and I thought, hey, let's see if I can go outside and learn to run alone. Wow. But now, um, help me understand, Simon, uh, how do you run when you can't see? How do you cross a street? How do you make sure you don't run into a, you know, a fire plug? Um, well, you do run into those things. Is, uh, <laughs> do you? Probably the simple answer. Because <laughs> that's what happened on your journey through the desert, right? Is you kept hitting rocks and bushes, and it just beat you yeah, up. Yeah, you know, you know, I actually managed to run into a flagpole in the desert. <laughs> the only flagpole in the entire there. desert. 
in like 400 square kilometers. Holy cow. And I, and I managed to find it. So <laughs> that was relatively impressive. That is amazing. But, um, the way I did it, uh, the way I learned to train, because training and how I did it in the desert, you know, I, I did it in two very different ways. But training was just a case of I paired what it felt like underfoot with some audio distance GPS markers on an app on my phone. Mm-hmm. I was using just a normal fitness app called RunKeeper, which says things like you've run 0.3 miles, you've run 0.6. So I paired what it felt like underfoot with those distance markers, learned when I needed to turn right, when I needed to turn left. When I hit a lamppost or a road sign, I'd, I'd remember where that was from the distance markers and make sure I was at the other side of the pavement next time and piece it together over a couple of months, memorized a route, and then just began to train quite heavily on a three-mile route, which I repeated again and again, and I've, well, I've put thousands of miles in on that route now. Wow. And, I mean, it's really, so you've memorized you've memorized the route, and then, but things change, I guess, like a car might pull up or a dog might be right there. Do these changes, then I guess you just adapt and adjust, and that, you don't lose in your mind where you are on the route? It might have been hit by a van before. Oh, man. Um, on that route. That was, that was kind of strange, because you need to shake it off really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm out there... On my own, you know, um, if I lose my phone, I've got no real way of contacting anyone. And, yeah, it was tough. So, yeah, I got hit by the van. I was like, oh, shake it off really quickly, jump back up, you know, brush myself off and, and carried on. And that's what it is a lot of the time. you just got to keep moving forward. And to be honest, that particular route I know incredibly well now. Mm. So I'd struggle to get disorientated. And yeah. if I did, it would probably only take me 10, 15 seconds to you know, find something that I know, okay, this curb means I'm in this location or, you know, this particular post, okay, there's only a post on this part of the road. So I can orientate myself very, very quickly on that route. But, you know, if I, as soon as I move away from that route, yeah, it's very, very oh. And there's this weird experience. I mean, everybody must think you are not, you know, seeing impaired, You're that you're fine because you're out running every day. But in reality, um, you, you can't see. When did when did talk about your your blindness? Has it been with you your whole life? Um, it's genetic, um, but it was degenerative. Hmm. So while I was born with it, I could still see when I was young. So you know, when I was um, sort of all the way up to sort of teenage years, you know, it was fine. I didn't even know I was losing my sight. To be honest, it wasn't until sort of went to the hospital. I think it was around 13, 14, that they're like, oh, we really need to take a look at this. There seems to be something wrong here. And then by the time, you know, I'd actually gone through the system and everything, I was already blind, uh, registered blind by 17. Although being registered blind is kind of strange because depending how you've lost your vision, you can still see. Mm. So I could see pretty well up until a sort of mid-20s and then by age 26, 27, that's when, mm. you know, I pretty much lost all what people would class as vision. Now all I have is just above light perception. So, you know, thankfully, having sight when I was younger does mean I've seen a lot of things. You know, I know how much I have space, uh, like a car occupies and tables and chairs. And now I just, when I'm out and about, I make assumptions of how much space something would occupy. Hmm. Sometimes I'm very wrong. <laughs> but, you know, 90% of the time, yeah. you get it right. So you concentrate on the times you get it right. Do you run in the day or do you run at night? I guess it wouldn't matter. 
mainly in the day just because um, logistics, because where I train, <laughs> this is going to sound really strange, but I can't actually get to the start of my run route on my own. Oh, really? Yeah, it's because of where it starts. Um, you can kind of really only get there by car. Um, you can't really walk there. It's a, it's a really long walk. So it, I basically, and my wife's driving to work or she, dropping the kids off, and so she drops me off in the train. There you go. And then you just run home. <laughs> well, no, because I can't run home either. So, <laughs> so you got to run. Oh, my heavens. So I'll be out there for, you know, a, a reasonable amount of time and then, you know, get a lift back or, or something like that. But so your training days, if you're if you're going to be a um, ultra marathon runner, it's a it, you run 160 miles is the attempt, right? Yeah, you know I've run further than that. I've run 260 miles before. Um, I ran from Boston to New York, and then when I got to New York, I did the marathon. Oh my heavens! So, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. That was, that was a really nice distance as well. And so yeah, I've run you know big distances before. The, you know the desert was just challenging just because. You know, I couldn't see the rocks more than anything. But, um, yeah, training-wise, it basically means your weekends are just heavily occupied with training. So you'll get up on a Saturday, you'll run 20 or 30 miles. You know, you get up on a Sunday and you do the same. And then through the week, you're just throwing in some shorter distances, doing some speed and things. So if you can sort of be willing to give up four hours on a Saturday, four hours on a Sunday, yeah, it's, uh, it's more than manageable. You're running a marathon on a Saturday, and then a marathon, pl- and another marathon on a Sunday. Yeah, if I'm in the sort of far end of a training cycle, getting ready for multi-day or long distance, yeah, that's the type of distance I'd cover a weekend. And then when you go run your ultra marathon, do, do you run straight, nonstop, the 160 miles? Um, no, that particular one was a multi-day event, so okay. you also had to survive in the desert for seven days. Yeah. You know, so you had to take all your own food and you sleep and stuff and carry it every day. So that was a, a multi-day sort of distance slash, you know, make it in the desert. Um, whereas I have done distances, you know, single-day distances in the 80 to 100-mile range. Mm. But it, it just depends Some. Times I'm, you know, going for the biggest distance in 24 hours or a 24 hour race. Other times, you know, and do a multi day where you just get to do a marathon a day for however many days you want to do it. Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, to me, it's heroic. Um, let's take a break and come back, Simon. I'd love to find out more about um, just how you how your brain works and how you think. I mean, the deal is that ultra marathoning is one thing. You know, visually impaired, blind is another. And yet you've combined them both. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty powerful, I think, uh, lesson for all of us to learn. We'll take a break. More with uh, Simon Wheatcroft when we come back, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. And uh, Simon Wheatcroft definitely is bringing that to the game. Stick with us. We'll continue this journey right here on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever just had a friend say, let's go run a marathon? 
And you're like, ah, oh, I could never do it. How about just running from Boston to New York City, then while you're in New York, run the Boston Marathon or the the New York City Marathon? Just do that and do it blind. Today's guest, Simon Wheatcroft, did just that very thing along with others. Um, I mean, other uh, long ultra marathons as well. He's He's a runner and has a website, andadapt.com, andadapt.com, and it's just a great place to go learn as much as you can from this incredible person. Simon Wheatcroft, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Good to be back. Good to have you. What does your wife think of this? Like when when she says, yeah, Simon, you go out into the desert, (laughs) the Namibian desert, and you just run. Does Does this scare her? Yeah, uh, the desert was particularly a difficult one because I was attempting it solo. It's something she didn't really want to talk to me about. Hmm. She considered it a, a little too risky. So it, it was something that you know I, I gently revealed to her over time. Yeah, <laughs> she she agreed to, but she wasn't particularly happy about me doing it. Oh sure. But at, at the same time, you know, I think she realised that. You know, if she said no, you know, it had just been a difficult thing to do and I'd have been a bit too upset. So let me do it. And, you know, we put a lot of safety sort of measures in there to make it as safe as possible. To yeah. My Is what's harder for you, um, Simon, the the ultra marathoning side of this or the blind side of this? Um, it really depends on the event. Um, for example, the Namibia one, the fact I was trying to do it without vision is what made it particularly difficult. Um, if I was able to see and able to see the rocks and the obstacles, it would have been, I don't want to use the word easy, but it would have certainly been manageable. Hmm. So in that particular one, it was my lack of vision which um, we had got on top of me. Whereas, you know, all the things like the Boston to New York, uh, I'd say, you know, the distance was starting to get a little bit on top of me because that much sort of running on concrete begins to just physically hurt your limbs. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the event, you know, um, depends what challenge you're doing. And I think because Namibia was so low, it was always going to be trying to manage the fact I couldn't see while doing the adventure. Do you... Um do you consider yourself a hero? I mean, I know that. I mean, I'm sure you you don't think of yourself that way, but you know that there's people that are just amazed by you. Um, I try not to think of it in those terms. You know, I'm just going out there and trying to see what I'm capable of, and I do understand that I am absolutely pushing the limit to to discover these things. And I think some people perhaps do look at that and think, wow, you know, people really can push hard and and do things that are beyond, you know, what perhaps the public perception is. But I try not to think about people's perceptions of me too much. Just, oh, it's very difficult to, <laughs> to yeah. think about those things. Yeah, and, and I guess to even try to live up to it or play the role of it. Who Who's your hero? Um... It depends in what field, really. You know, I, I absolutely adore technology, so a lot of my the people I would look up to would be some of the big people in technology. But if we're talking about fitness or endurance, there's a there's a lady called Rosie Swale Pope, 
And in her late 50s, she decided one day just to run around the world. Wow. So she left her you know, house by the front door and then took five years and she ran around the entire world, self-sufficient, carried all her own kit. And that is just, to me, absolutely incredible. You know, a solo attempt and to dedicate that much of your life to one event just to see if it's even possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she proved it was possible. So, yeah, absolutely incredible. That's pretty neat. Um, is that now stirring in the back of your mind like, hey, <laughs> maybe I could run around the world? I've got two small children. Yeah. And if I was going to dedicate, you know, that much of my life, I'd miss out on a huge portion of their life. And I think that would be way too selfish. There is one adventure I would like to take on that would be relatively time-consuming, but I think I'm willing to dedicate that much time. I'd love to um, cycle the Pan Am Highway. Mm. So Cycle possibly. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at you. Uh, I'm, th- I'm currently thinking about that, you know, and then contemplating, do I go tandem? You know, do I go out there and, and design the technology that would make it possible to do it alone? It's... Uh, it's up in the air at the minute, which way I'd like to tackle that. But that's definitely on the horizon, but far in the horizon. You know, in terms of short term, the next year or two, I'm obviously going back to Africa to, to pull this to bed, to go back there and, and finish, and then mm. just run a few of the marathons and a few of the ultras. But, you know, in the back of my mind is that Pan Am Highway, just now and again saying hello. That's great. What Now, what do you do for a living? Or can you do this professionally? Um, for a living, I actually do a, a lot of public speaking. Yeah. So I'll talk about, you know, the adventure in generally what it takes to get there because, you know, the story isn't necessarily out there in the desert or out there between Boston and New York. The story is in what it took to go from, you know, not running and what it takes sort of physically and mentally to to take this challenge on. You know, there is an added level of difficulty there with losing my sight. So, you know, I talk about those things. And then I also sort of work with a lot of technology companies. But that is that is my absolute passion, technology. And mm-hmm. I'm talking more about inclusive design and sort of approaches to sort of design methodology, making sort of technology more accessible to everyone and more inclusive. I mean, like, yeah, you're using um, the the RunKeeper.com app, but you're also re- using Google Glasses. I mean, you, you've really adopted technology. And can there be a day, and it seems like, why not, where you could basically have everything you need to do anything, not just run these ultra marathons, but be able to do anything even though you're sight impaired? Yeah, you know, the technology that I created with IBM for the desert, um, we're looking to expand upon. Um, because I'd like to... Essentially, we went to the desert because it's an open space. You know, there's not many obstacles, even though I did find the one flagpole, <laughs> flagpole. in the desert. Watch out for the flagpole. Um, <laughs> the, the next step is to then go to an incredibly complicated environment, something like um, the New York Marathon or the Boston Marathon, and try and do that solo, because what makes that particular challenging is the other competitors. You know, right. can we create a system that communicates to me how I avoid everybody? And if we're capable of making that system, then that can be heavily generalized and be incredibly productive to people's 
everyday life that are visually impaired yeah. because that system would essentially allow you to, to not only navigate but also avoid static and, and moving objects. Right. Well, and there's a we've had another man on the show that um, can use sonar as he just clicks and he runs and or and rides bikes and he, but there's technology. I guess I guess part of it is like you're saying, tune it in, huh? So that you can take it actually and go run a marathon with thousands of people. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of working on you know similar lines as the echolocation, but it would um, the technology approach would be to use something like lidar which is laser radar, to identify the objects and then translate that into haptic feedback, Hmm. which would be fed to like a belt you wear around your chest or your waist. And it gives vibration patterns, you know, letting you know where people are to allow you to avoid it. And that would be the hope. And, you know, that's the next step. Can we create that quick enough for me to compete in New York or Boston? Hmm. Wow. It's um, And and then, you. by the way, I'm not going to tell you your business, Simon, but I would for sure have some option of you know notif- noticing flagpoles <laughs> and and cheetahs that might run you down in the namibian desert for example I, apparently you need to watch out for the lions in the namibian desert oh, uh, a pride of lions did start tracking um the competitors in the race are you serious yeah you yeah, might want to yeah. just you might want to just drive that one <laughs> just drive that leg hey um, simon will be safe in the car for a bit <laughs> that's right what do you tell um what do you tell some young person maybe going through the exact same uh, issue that you were as a young 13, 14-year-old boy losing their eyesight? What what advice do you give them? Initially, I'd say, you know, it's a process. When you begin to lose your sight, it is upsetting. It's a very difficult time. And, you know, it isn't, you know, you, you flick a light switch and all of a sudden, you know, you've got fantastic determination and fantastic grit. It's a it's a process that happens over a number of years, and it's small iterative steps, and those small steps eventually add up to massive leaps forward. And that's generally what you know I try and push that you know don't look for this sort of light bulb moment because while the the mountain for me was a trigger point, the skills that it took for me to train solo I'd been developing over the past three or four years by not using a long cane. Hmm. Then I was able to transfer those skills to running. It was basically just doing it at speed. So, yeah, I just say that, you know, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. You just need to learn to adapt, and whatever you want to achieve, if you're willing to adapt and move forward, anything's possible. Yeah. And um, your children, what do they when they look at Dad running an ultra marathon or, you know, finishing the New York Marathon... What is that like uh, for you as a dad to to show to be able to be teaching them that? You know, uh, that's one of the reasons I took these things up. You know, we all tell our children that you can achieve anything you want and dreams are possible, but sometimes you need to go out there and prove it. You mm. need to show them that it's possible. It isn't a case of just telling them. And, you know, my children right now are still relatively young. My eldest is five and my youngest is two. Although the eldest actually came out when I ran Boston to New York and he ran part of it. Hmm. You know, he, he met me a couple of miles away from the finish line at Central Park and we oh, ran wow. through New York together, you know, came round into Columbus Circle and then ran to the finish line together. I'd love to say that we crossed the finish line together, but, you know, a few hundred meters from the finish line, he turned around and said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm really tired. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay then. So we stopped and, you know, chance to give him a rest. 
and then he spun it off and crossed the finish line first. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> That's great. He's playing you. He tricked you. He absolutely did. And then there was only one medal as well, and he got the medal then. <laughs> he, the medal. he stole your medal, Simon. Yeah, but, you know, I prefer that. It's, it's worth it. Has it than me. And again, you're running as – you're, as you're finishing the marathon, nobody knew, um, nobody knew you were blind, I'm assuming. Um, in that particular marathon – Oh, I did have a guide, but I don't tether. Yeah, okay. Because what you, what you generally find is um, blind people in races will physically tether, you know, to another runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something I've never really done, and I can just um, navigate around by hearing them in sound, and sometimes I'll just touch the, the elbow to, you know, make oh, sure yeah. there. So from the outside, I don't think people do know that I'm blind. I don't sort of wear anything to say that I'm blind. Right. Yeah. Wow, it's. Do it quite I don't know. You're. I think you're very inspirational I, to all of us um, because I mean, I I go on a walk like four miles a day and it wears me out. And I think I'm a wuss. Simon runs in the flipping desert. So I, you know, it starts with small steps. When I come when I first started running alone, a mile seemed like a phenomenal distance. <laughs> And I couldn't believe that I'd run a mile. Yeah. And, you know, then you get to 10 miles and you can't believe you've run 10 miles. Then you get to 100, you can't believe you've run 100, then 200. And, yeah, every small step just seems like a huge improvement. Well, it is. And, again, I think it gives hope that uh, we can all, with a little change here, a little step, just a few steps, just get started and and push yourself like you taught us. Simon Wheatcroft, thank you so much. Uh, Again, everybody, go check out the website andadapt.com where you can get more information about everything that he's up to. You can read his blog. Simon, thank you. Appreciate it. I know. Thank you. My pleasure. Truly, uh, truly, the good in the world right there. And a family man raising a family as well. Can you imagine what his kids are learning about? Just get to it. Start running. Right? Nobody's perfect, but we can always take a step forward. Try something new. Powerful. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. When we come back, continue the discussion of all things good right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Giving you the tools to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, you got to love Simon Wheatcroft. Now, is is that heroic? Or is he just living the life? You know, he's called to live. Everybody's basically, think about it, everybody's got a disability. It's what you do with it. His is blindness. Yeah, but that's a real disability. I don't know. Have you met my cousin Larry? He's got a personality disorder that is messed up. Is it a real disorder? No, he's just weird. So is it your personality that is your disability? Is it your uh, – is it just how you – your start in life? You started with a family uh, that had never gone to college, a family that had never – you know, were uh, without a father in the home. Think of how many people are raised in inner cities without a father, without a, a shot at going to college or anyone in the family that even goes to, to, to college 
or to go get a trade. I mean, that seems like a pretty big disability to start with. And maybe what we do is we use the same technique Simon has taught us of uh, you just you, – you don't have to run everything. You just run a, run a mile. Take – run a half a mile. Start small. But whatever it is, and as you're out there listening, it's your life, right? And we've all got to figure out a way to make the best with the little we've got. And don't look at it as just this major weakness. And that, that'll come in time. And every time we interview somebody that's, that, that's incredible like uh, Simon here, we, we, they tend to have the ability to not frame themselves by their weakness, by their disability. They frame themselves by their strength, by their, his curiosity. And he also seems like being able to mesh a bunch of things that he loves, technology, and exercise together and, again, isn't being hindered by that. So life's going to hand it to you one way or another, and to, it's pretty random as well. I think the disabilities, the the problems we're all going to run into, a lot of the things are almost – they seem custom-made for us. You know, why is it the woman that, oh, has so loved her hair is the one that got cancer and lost her hair? It's there's just always something, right? And it's almost ironic how it how it kind of gets handed out. Another little uh, moment of irony we'll post on our Twitter page. It's a video that is ah, oh, it's just the circle of life, folks. It's the circle of life. You you heard last week we did the eagle story where an eagle picked up I guess a house cat and brought it to its nest and they were recording the nest and uh, fed the cat to these baby eaglets, whatever you call them, little baby eagles. So I'm going to post another one. Again, another bird's nest, this time a robin with that beautiful red breast and uh, those greenish robin bluish eggs. Just this beautiful nest, just in a tree. Robin's just sitting on it, warming those eggs. Then the robin flies away. There, those eggs just sit there until a snake, nature's predator, comes and steals the eggs. Not funny, but the reality of life is things come. You know, this is just the circle of life, and uh, it's part of it. It's part of it. Um, anyway, it's crazy. I'm. We're just gonna post it on the Twitter feed at Doctor Matt Show. There's not a great lesson except, you know, you're either the egg or the snake. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. A whole other hour coming up. Gretchen Rubin including, uh, included next hour. Man, she is uh, she's all about happiness. And she's going to be talking about her new book um, on happiness. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Good stuff coming up. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. But oh, 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 have we got a great show for you today. Great. I'm telling you, this is going to be this is going to be good. Gretchen Rubin will be joining us. She is the real deal. Big blogger uh, has a, um, a best-selling New York Times book called The Happiness Project. She has a podcast, mm. and she's going to be talking about her new book, Better Than Before, uh, which heaven knows we need. Hello, we've got to get to some of the latest and greatest habits. To master everyday life. Like Ben, for example, just needs to get the habit of showering and dressing. Sometimes you dress, sometimes you shower. You can do both. It's really hard to do both. Like it, it's usually just a decision. <laughs> it is a decision. Cause, cause <laughs> it's, that's all it is. It's just a simple little Well, I decision. told you I, I like wake up 10 minutes before the show starts. Yeah. And so I really only have a chance to shower or get dressed. You know, some people wake up 20, 30 minutes before the show. I'm just saying. I don't want to, I don't want to hound you, but uh, you're going to want to listen to Gretchen. Is what okay. I'm saying. So just listen up for Gretchen. She'll be on in a few minutes. Um, also, of course, we're going to be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Plus, all things come in threes. All things come in threes. Apparently, uh, we've had now two bison stories in the last week, and I have found the third one. Bison. Stories. Um, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but we have talked about it being the the national mammal, I guess is what they're calling it. Also, it's um, we just did a story last week about a woman that has a domesticated bison that lives with her in her house, which is just messed up. Uh, I'll bring you the third bison story, and this one, it's also a warning. Be careful when you when you pick up a bison in Yellowstone Park. Be careful. Just be careful. That's all I'm going to give you. But I'll give you more. I'll, I'll give you more information on that one. Stick with us. But first, of course, let's get to Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on in the headlines. Caitlin, what's up around the country? Well, these are some pretty good stories, Matt. So Excellent. listen up. Presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump responded to comments from the U.K.'s prime minister in an interview that aired Monday with Piers Morgan after David Cameron called Trump's proposed Muslim ban, quote, divisive, stupid, and wrong. In response, Trump said, well, number one, I'm not stupid, okay? I can tell you that. He added, I don't think I'm a divisive person. I'm a unifier. Unlike our president now, I'm a unifier. Trump has taken heat in the past several days from the mayors of both Paris and London, hinting that the potential U.S. president may not be popular with European leaders if he wins in November. Quote, looks like we're not going to have a very good relationship, Trump said of Cameron. Donald Trump says he won't name his running mate until the Republican National Convention, though he's already ruling people out. But despite all the focus on the Trump campaign, Hillary Clinton has to choose a running mate, too. And she is looking for one who, quote, could make a direct appeal to supporters of Bernie Sanders. Um, The most frequently named running mate for Clinton is probably Senator Elizabeth Warren, a sometime Clinton critic who has been trading barbs with Trump on Twitter. An 87-year-old Washington state woman had some advice for her great-grandson as he was sentenced Thursday for abducting her in 2015 in what is being called an apparent murder plot to steal the car of Hazel, Hazel Abel of Kennewick. A judge sentenced 17-year-old Dylan Martin, Abel's great-grandson, to nine and a half years in prison. In a separate hearing, accomplice Billy Underwood, 16, got ten and a half years. Both were charged as adults. The teens abducted Abel from her home in November, tying her hands and putting her in the trunk of her Dodge Neon with her chihuahua. Whoa. They drove some 200 miles to 
um, Matoma County, Oregon, but she escaped when they parked at a Walmart. A third co-defendant who was 14 at the time previously received two and a half years in a juvenile facility. Mm. And last but not least, Matt, authorities say a man tried to rob a car wash in Northern California with an empty potato chip bag and an alleged handgun. Police say in a statement that the man entered Casey's World of Water car wash Friday night and dropped an empty potato chip bag on the counter. He told the cashier to fill it with money, warning that he had a gun. The man gestured that the weapon was in the empty bag, but the cashier saw it. It held only a piece of cardboard and called a co-worker for help. Police say when the other employee approached, the suspect fled on foot. What? <laughs> I mean, he, I've heard some things, but so I think the potato the, chip bag is He put is the crazy. gun in a potato chip bag? Yeah. No, like there was the no gun. gun. Right. No, but why like, Why fake that? I mean, uh, if you're putting it in a, in a bag, I know you got no gun. I mean, I don't know. The first kid abducted his great-grandma, and then this guy tried to rob a car wash with a So what are we learning? We're bag. learning that people are messed up. Bad boys, bad boys. I think today's criminals are running out of creative outlets. I yes. Something. No, and that is very creative. A potato chip bag. I mean, he could have just... <laughs> that used, is unique. He could have used a brown paper bag. I feel like, and I feel like these young boys must have underestimated the smarts of their great-grandma. Yes. Stupid, yes, but creative, absolutely. And let that be a lesson to you, Caitlin. <laughs> what? Because you are, you're out looking for a, a, a male suitor to date you. Be careful. That's rude. Why? I'm dating someone, Matt. Oh. I don't need to look. Sorry. Well, But I you're mean, dating somebody, but just know. Is, they they got to pass the test. What test? The test. What does this have to do with the criminals and potato chip bags? See, you don't even understand the test. I don't understand he, you. He's a marriage coach, so everything he says <laughs> funnels back. back towards marriage. Everything. So everything on this show is about marriage. Everything. Oh. Yeah. This is the Matt Townsend marriage show? Mm-hmm. Like, for example. What? This guy could be your husband. Mesa police arrested a man they found with his arm still inside the machine that he was trying to steal from. <laughs> Court records show that 26-year-old Andrew Shea Jolstad was found on his knees, hopefully praying, with a flashlight in one hand and his other hand still inside the machine, uh, a vending machine, an arcade machine basically. He was released from prison this past December and was caught red-handed at the Zaps Arcade in a local mall. Citizens at the mall contacted the Mesa police officer there after seeing suspicious activity at the arcade. Something weird's going on. Uh, this kid's just uh, got his hand in the machine. I kind of find that suspicious. How old was he? Twenty-six. Oh. When the officer arrived, he found Jolstad had uh, used a pry bar to open a four arcade four arcade mach- machines and had taken the money out of them. Rude. Yes. You can't even give very much money out of an arcade machine. Well, but this guy could be a future husband. So I'm saying watch out. Watch out. Watch out for potato bags, arcade addicts. And, and grandmas. Great. Well, mm-hmm. guys with really old great grandmas. This <laughs> is the show where we give you the information you need. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks, Matt. Keep up the good work. Good talking to you. Okay. Good luck in the love fest. Uh, we will continue uh, talking about love fest, you know, throughout the show. Again, we do what we can to help you get the information you need to live healthier, happier lives. Did you hear about these two crazy skinny or three skinny dippers? This, they're in trouble. Three guys 
are in a world of trouble right now. National Park Service says a skinny dipper likely killed one of the world's rarest fish. Excellent. No, not excellent. The Devil's Hole Pupfish is the name of the fish. And there's video of these guys. They pull up on their little four-wheeler at this fenced-off area, and they're drinking. They found a bunch of stuff because they were drinking and swimming in this area that they weren't supposed to be in. And it just so happens that that's where this really rare pupfish lives. And they were trying to preserve the species. And lo and behold, guess what happened? The pupfish died after the guys were in there. Yeah, the pupfish done popped. So, you know, they don't know what happened, but the fish eggs may have been destroyed and the fish, I guess, had died. Come on. Rare fish, now gone, probably, because some guys decided to go skinny dipping. Ben, what's the lesson? Be careful where you go skinny dipping. No, don't skinny dip. Oh, Shower okay. at home. Get, keep your clothes on. Don't drink beer. And one guy got sick, apparently. All of this was on video. Okay. Man, man. So no skinny dipping. No skinny dipping. No skinny dipping. Okay. And make sure there's no pupfish around. Just another lesson. I mean, I can't give you all the lessons. I could try. World's oldest tree today turns 4,847 years old. Because they cut it in half and counted the rings, right? <laughs> no. No? Oh. How you do you tell? Don't ask. If you have to ask, you don't need to know. Apparently, I don't. They've had a tally for 4,000 years. They go back. Yep, one more. Even if people have laid eyes on the world's oldest tree, there is a good chance they didn't realize it. That's because the United States Forest Service keeps all information about the 4,847-year-old tree. Uh, It's a Great Basin bristlecone pine Mm. and its location. They keep it away. It's hidden from everybody. So it's in the west somewhere. No, no. That's just the type of pine Maybe it was transplanted from the Great Basin bristlecone pine. So like Virginia? Yeah, maybe. Okay. It's top secret. They're not going to tell you where it is. No. We don't even know if it's in the United States except it's in the National Forest. Right. We don't know. Hmm. They're not telling you. The tree known as Methuselah. Methuselah. It's a good name for a tree. Great name for a tree. Do you name your trees? I do not. Me either. I mean, there's certain things I, I lob at those trees. But they're not really names. What, what do you? Yeah. What do you lob at them? I just uh, there's one with a low hanging branch. I hit my head on sometimes when I'm mowing the lawn. So you, yeah, you lob. Just have to remember that, it's there. Yeah, I understand. My wife hates them because she wants them cut down, and I don't cut them down. And so there's some point of strife there. So it's not really a name. It's more of a feeling. It's um, wow. See, we just got into something deep. Here. Yeah, we did. You said it's all about marriage and counseling. So. It is. It's a tree, man. Fix it, Matt. What do I do? It's just a tree. Just give it a hug and let it go. What did it do to you? Well, occasionally it gets in the way of my head when I'm mowing the lawn. I mean, I don't want to get sappy here. Seriously? But Ben thought that was hilarious. Yeah. You could hear hear Ben wheezing over there. (laughs) That means you need your your inhaler. Yeah. Uh, the tree, Methuselah. Methuselah, 
is rumored to be located somewhere on a mountain in the ancient bristlecone pine forest, part of the Inyo National Forest in California. There you go. See, now they're they're, they're giving us too much, too much information. information. Yeah. Well, you know which one it's going to be. It's going to be the old – The oldest tree. Bent over mm. kind of, you know, bad hitch and it's – It's the tree telling the other tree to get off its lawn. That's right. Because it's old. The Forest Service refuses to release even as much as a picture of the tree mm. out of fear of what might happen. The, <sighs> the previous oldest tree? Yeah. Someone found out. Guess what they did to it? Um, they cut it down. Did they make it paper? I don't know what they did to it, but I think some, it was a researcher and they wanted to get a sample for some reason and uh, they ended up destroying the tree. I would love to print some paper off of that tree. So they decided not to uh, let this one go public. Good. See? Protecting. Save, save Methuselah. 4,847 years. Again, no. how do they know that? How do they know? They've had to have sampled it. They've had to have cut it in half. They couldn't have. It wouldn't survive. Somehow they've figured out the age. Hmm. Did they carbon date it? Maybe it had a brother. Okay. Maybe it had a twin. Okay. Maybe the twin got you, sick. These are all things that could not have happened. But Trees can have twins. Yeah, but you don't know. Uh, you're right. It's like they're attached by the branch or something. Have you not heard of a family tree? <laughs> we are all attached by the branch. On some level. That's why you got to go watch relation, relative race. Relative race. BYU Broadcasting. Holds all the secrets. Hey, um, <laughs> okay. Anything else going on, Terry, that we need to focus on that uh, it's critical today? Did you see that punch in the baseball game yesterday? Yes. That was awesome. I got to find out from BYU Sports Nation what they thought of that. What do you mean that was awesome? Well, you had the Rangers taking on the uh, the Texas Rangers taking on Blue the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. They met in the playoffs last year. The uh, the batter, the guy that was running the bases yeah. last year, he hit a home run and did, did a, a very in-your-face sort of bat flip. Yeah, yeah. That ticked off the Rangers, and they have this bad blood now. So you come back, and there's all this buildup because these two teams don't like each other. And then the uh, the guy from the, the Blue Jays who did the bat flip last season, right? he was running from first to second. And the, the second baseman from the Rangers thought that he uh, – he he slid behind the bag, which is a tactic you use to take out to the, take the, out the, the, player. the second baseman's legs. Right, and so when the guy stood up, the Ranger player pushes the uh, Toronto player, and the Toronto player comes back, and the Ranger player he went Red Ranger on it, does a little hook and hits him right on the chin, and everyone's like, <laughs> and as he connects, it's like it's like a you know like a real fight. Yeah, yeah, this was a this was In sports fisticuffs. there's there's no real fights. There's pushing, there's shoving, right. there's no, this just was like, puffing of chest. Nothing uh-oh. really happens, but he actually connects. Cleared the benches. Ooh, ooh. This and, is crazy. And they they didn't really see it at first, but then they slow it down. Even the guys that did the play-by-play of the game are watching it. They're like, "Oh, wow. Look at that." Yeah. <laughs> Cuz you never see People throw wild punches and it just ends up being arms and, you, you know, nothing happens and something happened. It was kind of a different sort of uh, – Yeah, we got to post that. Yeah. I'll what find the video. Parents, talk to your kids. This is what you don't do. Don't hit, but wow, watch this hit. This like is... you see this in boxing. You see this in the MMA. You don't see this in baseball. Yeah, I don't know how you – and this isn't good too because they're all out on the field. So the the player from the Rangers, somebody went on his Wikipedia page – and if you look at a baseball player, it lists their stats. It says hits. So he got his all-time hits plus 
<laughs> Jose Bautista's face or something oh, is how geez. it went. Yeah, so. Come on, kids. We gotta get. We we can go for happiness. Let's not be like that. Come on. That's why we need our next guest. We'll take a break. Come back. Gretchen Rubin will be joining us, and uh, she's the author of a New York Times bestseller. Um, also, a new book out, Better Than Before. We're going to be learning about uh, happiness. She's from the Happiness Project. GretchenRubin.com. Stick with us, folks. It's a great guest coming up. She's been on the show before. We'll be right back, helping you find the happy on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's been five months since your New Year's resolutions, right? We're halfway through 2016, and have you kept up on those New Year's resolutions? Are you still doing them? If not, you're not alone. Habits can be hard to form, even if we have great motives, great reasons for doing it. But uh, they're still important, so don't give up on them. It's just we need to maybe... Maybe we can simplify it by trying to make them part of our everyday life. And that is uh, what our next guest, Gretchen Rubin, is going to be talking to us about her new book. She's the author of many books, um, many, by the way, successful books as well. One, for example, is uh, Mas- oh, is um, the the Happiness Project that she runs. But she, in her, in her uh, writings and her blog and her podcast and everything she's working on, her goal – folks, is happiness. Uh, She's done the Happiness Project book, and she's been on the show before. Now she's talking about her new book, Better Than Before. Gretchen Rubin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Great to have you here. Talk to us about happiness. I mean, you have, it seems like, put it on the map. Everybody now is focusing more and more on happiness, and you're teaching us really that it's about a habit. Yeah, no, I, as I was doing all this research and talking to people about happiness over the years, I began to notice that a lot of times when people talked about a big happiness challenge that they faced, it was a problem that at, at its core had to do with a habit. So someone would say, well, my problem is I'm exhausted all the time. And that's about the habit of getting enough sleep. Right. Or somebody would say, my, my problem is I want to uh, get back into practicing guitar. And that's about the habit of consistent progress. So... How can habits help us to be happier? Oh, I mean, and we know habits are are a key, right? Um, and so your book, Better Than Before, is really then about habit making, right? But it's also, yeah. I guess, making the habit part of your uh, – is, is it easier to make it just something you're already kind of doing? How, how do you integrate the habit into your day-to-day life? Well, you know, habits are a huge part of our day-to-day life just – sort of by their nature. Uh, research suggests that about 40% of everyday life is shaped by habits. So there's sort of this invisible architecture of every day. Um, and when we consciously shape our habits, the way you're talking about, then obviously we can use them as this engine to help us be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. But if those habits are not good for us, then it's going to be a lot harder. Uh, now, habits are the, the, the reason that habits are so powerful is they get us out of the draining, difficult business of using self-control and making decisions. You know, in just the way you don't decide to wear a seatbelt, you don't decide, you don't use your self-control to brush your teeth. Right. Um, you want to make going to the gym that way or uh, not eating after dinner, that, that kind of automatic thing where 
You don't have to use your willpower. You don't have to debate with yourself. It just happens automatically. It's on autopilot. And you get – yeah, th- then then it, it's not about making a decision anymore. Yeah. It's just about staying in the groove. Well, and it's funny because people often say to me, well, this is really important because I want to go through my day making healthier choices. And I'm like, no, you don't because every time you make a choice – you got the chance to make the wrong choice. True. You want to choose once and stop choosing. What time do you get up? I get up at 6 a.m. Do you decide that every day? No, I don't. I get up at 6 a.m. Do you have dessert? No, I don't have dessert. Do I decide that? Do I use self-control? No, I don't. Um, and then it's easy, you know, wow. because it's a habit, so you don't have to muster up all this mental energy around it. You know what you sound like, Gretchen, is like a pastor. From from mature, I mean, it really is. It's this. It's this age old issue that you can make the decision once and then just stick to it. Well, and this is a fascinating question because what really drove me, what made me so curious, was over and over people. It's not that they didn't know what they wanted to do. They wanted to do it. They right. they knew what would make a difference. They really wanted to. And sometimes people were were able to stick to it, and sometimes they weren't. And sometimes they'd have a good habit, and it would vanish overnight, and they didn't know why. And sometimes a habit would form pretty easily, mm. and they were puzzled. And so I really wanted to get out, well, why? What are the strategies that are people, or people are using? And, what are the, and why is it that some people, some things work for some people and don't work for other people? Like the strategy of accountability. Having someone hold you accountable for some people is essential. Mm-hmm. But for some people, it's counterproductive. Mm. Some people do worse if they think someone's looking over their shoulder because they push against it. They're like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. You're telling me I need to show up at 10 a.m.? Well, watch me not do that. Somebody else, like, they need to know that they're gonna, if they don't show up at 10 a.m., somebody's going to be looking around for them. So you have to know yourself. And uh, customize first. it. Yeah, it's, you have to break your code, it seems like. Yes. And that is really the thing that I think that's the essential piece that a lot of habit experts kind of skip over, which I think is really important, which is there are 21 strategies we can use to make or break our habits. But the first thing you have to do is think about yourself and what kind of person are you and what works for you? Because the fact that it worked for Steve Jobs or your sister-in-law doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So you have to begin by saying, what kind of person am I? What is going to work for me? For instance, morning people, night people. And over and over you see this, this expert advice. If something's important to you, get up first and do it first thing in the morning. Get up mm-hmm. early and get it done. Well, this is good for morning people, but a sizable part of the population are night people. And this is gene- largely genetically determined and a function of age. It's not like they just could turn into morning people if they go to sleep on time. And for them, they're just at their most creative and energetic and productive much later in the day. And the idea that they're going to get up early and do something like go for a run or write in their journal it's just not a good idea for them because they could probably barely get to work or school on time. Right. Cause they're, but not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they're night people. So to form a habit successfully, they need to take that into account because it's not that some somebody's right and somebody's wrong or somebody's doing it the right way and you're doing it the wrong way. Because people will say things like, you shouldn't go to the gym after four. It's not good for you. It's like, if that's what works for you, then yeah. that's what works for you. Go whenever you go, whenever what? Yeah, whatever you can consistently do. Exactly, and so and here's another way that it comes up is that what I found is that when it comes to facing a strong temptation, something like uh, a really addictive video game, or 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 like you know. 
Thin Mint Cookies, you know, something yeah. that you really are tempted Girl by. Scouts. Yeah, man, right? <laughs> right. Um, some people, I, I think they're abstainers and moderators. Abstainers are people who do better when they have none. They kind of are all or nothing people. They can have none, but once they start, they're going to have one Thin Mint Cookie, they're going to have 11 Thin Mint Cookies. They can't have one Thin Mint Cookie. And, but they find it pretty easy to have none. And then moderators are people who get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. They like to have it a little bit or have it sometimes. And I'm an abstainer, and um, I found, and I have a tremendous sweet tooth, but I found that it's very easy for me to have none. Mm. Like, I, don't, I basically don't have any sugar now, and that is so easy for me. But I couldn't have a little bit. And, you know, you see this kind of like with couples where the husband's like, well, let's just keep ice cream in the freezer. And right. then like every couple of nights, maybe have a little bowl whenever you get. <laughs> and then the, and the wife is like, oh, my gosh, I, I, if it's there, I'm going to eat the whole thing. Right. Tonight. And and they kind of argue with each other, like who's right. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that they both have trouble. Say, how do they manage that temptation? So. Once you have a vocabulary for it, you can say, like, well, how are we going to, given that we're different, how do we create a situation that works for both of us instead of finger-pointing and saying, you need to learn how to manage yourself better. Why can't you just have half a bowl? And the other person saying, like, you shouldn't have any. It's not healthy. You know, why are we oh, having yeah. it in the house anyway? You know. Well, I mean, that's so true. Man, you're, you're going to start a fight at my house, Gretchen. Because oh, no. Are you the abstainer or the moderator? I'm the moderator. Well, uh, I, I'm actually – I'm an abstainer. I need to abstain in order to survive and, and get healthier. But my wife is like, eh, everything in moderation. And I'm like, that's the problem. Yeah. I can't do it in moderation. And yet she's she's the one that buys everything. Like I don't go shopping for the food. She does, and yet it's all these things that I really should just be abstaining from. Well, one – I would say two things because that's super, that's super common, that situation. One is um, if you just make up your mind that you're going to abstain and you're – like it's like I'm not going to ever eat any potato chips at home. I'm never going to eat any ice cream at home. Like I have all this stuff at my house now, and it doesn't bother me anymore because oh, wow. I never eat it. So sometimes you can just abstain. Or like maybe you'll have it when you're – out with friends, you'll have go get an ice cream cone, but you're not going to eat it at home. Mm-hmm. That can work for some people. But also, sometimes just like when they, people see it kind of explained in this way, yeah. then, then they can go to someone else and say, like, I know you don't understand where I'm coming from. It's not your experience of the world. But I'm just pointing out, like, this page of a book. This is a real thing. <laughs> a lot of people feel this way. And this is the way I feel. And probably your wife doesn't want you eating a lot of, right. like, sweets and junk food. And if you're just like, look, the thing is, it's really hard for me to have a, a little bit. I can't have a little bit. And that's just how some people are. Then, then I think it becomes easier to sort of have a calm discussion about it when it's not loaded with... Um, you should be different. Exactly. You should be able to do this. Well, and it's, it seems like, too, like you said earlier, it, it gives us the same shared language. Yeah. And, and we can now get on the same page. Uh, yeah. um, talk about it because a lot of – it seems like our habits are always around a physical habit, um, you know, eating better, healthier, exercising. But really habits, they're, they're for everything, right? Just for even reading, for studying, for writing. Yes, absolutely. Anything that is important to you, um, it's easier when it becomes a habit if it's something that you want to do on a consistent, regular basis. And um, and I even I, I I'm such a believer in the power of habits that I I, I 
I was trying to figure out how could I have the habit of doing things that were like one-time problems because I realized I had all these kind of little nagging tasks that were not urgent, so I was always procrastinating with them, but they needed to get done, but I couldn't have the habit of like fixing my office chair or the habit of like running to the hardware store to get that weird light bulb. Um, so I have the habit of power hour. So once a, I keep a list, and once a week for an hour, I do all those little nagging tasks. And I've also heard from people who do that as a couple. Like they keep a power hour list as a couple, and then they spend an hour each weekend kind of cross. And it's amazing how much you can get done in an hour. And it doesn't feel so burdensome. You're like, eh, I can do anything for an hour. And you, push, uh, and you don't have to know exactly what you're going to do. You just save that hour. Just save that hour for all those. You know, there's just like a million things that mm-hmm. you're like, uh, I, you know, one of these days I should get around to cleaning out that, you know, what is it back there? I don't, or, you know, I should test that device and see if it's still working or does it just need new batteries. But like, or like I had a shredder that wasn't working and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it's actually broken or maybe it's just like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's got unplugged yeah. or, like, or maybe I need to like, you know, fiddle with it. And I was like, I don't feel like doing it. Um, how long did it take me? Ten minutes, by the way, when I finally sat down to do it. And then you get that huge surge of energy that you get when you get something crossed off your list. Right. Yeah. So I think you can make just about anything into a habit. Reading to your children, you know, um, like one of the, of the 21 strategies, one of the most effective strategies is the strategy of monitoring, which is when we just know how much we do something, we tend to do a better job. Mm. So if you, if you want to be reading to your children, it's like, okay, you say that's important to you, how often do you actually do it? Well, keep track of it. And, yeah. then, and then maybe you're like, wow, I really do a pretty good job with this. Or maybe you're like, mm, I want to step up my game. And then post it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Keep track it in some way. Hmm. How, did you, how did you get uh, the habit of writing? I mean, I know you write, but you do your podcasts, you have a blog and stuff. I mean, talk about habits because that is now your profession that's your job you used yeah. to be a lawyer right are you yeah. still practicing no no you, i'm a full-time writer you got a better happier life now yeah yeah um well so one of the things that i found out when i was writing the book that came as a huge kind of revelation to me was i identified um, these four tendencies it's this framework that describes all of humanity divides all of humanity into four categories um according to how they respond to expectations Outer expectations like work deadlines and inner expectations like a New Year's resolution. And what came as a huge surprise to me was that, uh, so there's upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And one of the things I learned about myself was that I am an upholder under my own framework, which is a very small category of people. Not that many people are in in that category. And the thing about upholders that's very distinctive is that it's pretty easy for them to form habits. And one of the things that had always puzzled me was people would say things like, how do you manage to write every day? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I just, I just sit down and write. <laughs> and now I understand why. As an upholder, things like that are pretty easy. We don't battle with that too much. Hmm. But then other, other tendencies have come at it in a different way. So like obliger, which is the largest tendency, that's the one that the, biggest, the most people fit into, are people who readily meet outer expectations but struggle to meet inner expectations. So like a friend of mine, I, I, I got my insight into this when a friend of mine said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? And it's like, well, when you had a team and a coach waiting yeah. for you, you had no trouble, but now you can't because it's just your own expectation. So, like, 
oh, I have no trouble exercising when I go to that class and my teacher's waiting, my instructor's waiting for me, and my friend is waiting for me, and I've paid for it. But if I'm just supposed to go for a run around my neighborhood, ah, it's yeah. not going to happen. Interesting. So then, so if, you, if there's an inner expectation that you can't meet, just give yourself outer accountability, and you'll be able to do it. And so by coming up with this framework, I really understood myself much better, and then also how other people were different and needed kind of different structures in place to help them stick to their good habits awesome. in a different way. Is this in the book better than be- better than before? Yes. Oh, yes. And there's also a quiz on my site. If you go to um, happiercast.com slash quiz, there's a quiz that you can take that will tell you whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel. And of everything in the book, I have to say, this is one of the things where people are like, oh my gosh, at last everything is revealed to me. Or like, I understand now why my husband... Um, always is asking me, why, 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 why? <laughs> I'm like, yes, he's a questioner. Holy cow, be quiet, you questioner. Yes. That is they, huge. What, people uh, often complain. Exactly. Like asking too many questions. Talk about um, just so the average Joe sitting out there before yep. they have your book. Now, that will yep. obviously but will be what they put on their list to make the first habit around living your book. Um, <laughs> but what, what, what should they do to get started? Like what's the first? Just the, I call it the one thing that if, that if we just do this one thing, a lot of our habits will change. Mm. Well, if I, if I had to say one thing, I would say of a habit that you would want to form, I would say sleep because one, most adults need seven hours of sleep, and if you don't get seven hours of sleep, it really it affects your mood, your memory, your your just your just sort of general self control. It's hard to have self mastery the self-mastery that we need to keep our good habits if we're exhausted. And, I mean, I think everybody knows that feeling where you're so exhausted, you can't even be bothered to, like, put on your pajamas and wash your face and go to bed. So you stay up late, binge-watching, you know, House of Cards, and then you're, like, in front of the fridge eating ice cream out of the container <laughs> at 1 a.m. And right. you're like, why did I not go to bed at 1030? You know, it's like it, it really it just um, undermines the foundation. And I talk about that in the book. It's the strategy of foundation. It's the habits that are kind of at the core of self-mastery, and so they deserve special attention because if, you, if your foundation is strong, then it's going to be easier to do things like practice the guitar or, you know, go for a walk before, you know, at lunchtime. Right. Um, but if you're just exhausted... You feel overwhelmed, you feel drained. And also when we're exhausted, well, first of all, a lot of people think that they have trained themselves to get by on less sleep. But when researchers look at these people, they're quite impaired. So we kill <laughs> yeah. ourselves. We don't realize how off our game we are. And then also, um, you know, lack of sleep, it just, it makes it, you lose your sense of perspective, you lose your sense of humor, it's hard to make decisions. Everything seems hard. Yeah. You know, like making plans to go out after work with a friend. You're like, oh, I can't handle the email logistics that would require. Right. Even though you know it would make you happier to see this friend, you just sort of can't bear it. Or like, oh, it'd be fun to do this like little project with my kids, but I can't stand the thought of making the mess and cleaning it up. Right. You know, it's just too much work. It, yeah, Whereas it's if you're so true. Rested, these things don't seem like a big deal at all. Man, Gretchen, I totally... It, it, and it, it that just totally resonates, and it's almost like you just described my entire life. Um, <laughs> it was perfect. It really was. Well, Gretchen, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. work. Keep writing, for heaven's sakes, and keep figuring out what drives us to to a state of higher happiness. 
Excellent. Well, thanks so much. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you. GretchenRubin.com. Go check out the website and the book, of course, Better Than Before. Truly, folks, um, we got to do something, right? Start with our habits and a a great place to go. GretchenRubin.com. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Buffalo Soldier. Mm-hmm. Stolen. It's part of our story that we're going to be presenting to BYU Sports Nation. Got a little question for our brilliant uh, commentators down there. Let's go down, talk to our good buddies. Hello, gentlemen. Buffalo Soldier. <laughs> Happy Monday, Matt. Happy Monday to you Monday. both. Are you having a good Monday? Absolutely. Abs. A lot of days feel the same. Do, do they? Yeah. Yeah. They're in an exciting way. Like, I've never dreaded coming to work ever. Uh, the, you haven't? The difference with... What? Wow. The difference with certain days here is if there's a, a big game that day or something, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, it's on TV, there's an added level of excitement, right? Yeah. We're close to the dog days, but the nice thing is... Uh, on a Monday, there's always stuff to report from the weekend. See, we that, like Mondays. That's there's it. There's a lot to talk about. That's it. That's why, can you guys figure out, this is kind of a hard test for you, can you figure out why we came to you with the Buffalo Soldier song? I don't know, Bob Marley. Why, why not? It, it, why not is a great, it's a great, yeah. great point. Uh, actually, because we've done lately a few a few bison stories. Do you remember um, last? Oh, yeah, Bullet. Bullet. Bullet, the domesticated bison that the lady has living in her Come house. Here, bullet, get over here, you rascally you bullet! Stupid bison. And then, then uh, a bison is now the, I guess, the mammal of America. Yeah. And so now, you beloved bison. You now, so I have another bison. Stupid story. beloved bison. <laughs> You're gonna love this. A, a tourist in um, Yellowstone Park loved a bison, a baby bison, so much that they. They put the baby bison in their SUV, and they drove off with the animal. I'm guessing that's illegal. Yeah. It's illegal to kidnap a baby bison. And we'll post the picture of the the cute bison in the back seat or the back um, uh, hatchback, whatever they call it, area. But they said that the, they, they weren't trying to steal the bison. It was just cold. They were just – it was just cold. So it was for the betterment of society. Yeah, they were trying to help. You stupid beloved bison. Warm. <laughs> so they were. They were the we pair. We both have kids under four, so we kind of don't like that song. Yeah. Anymore. You're done with that song. We can't hold it back. But you love Buffalo Bison. So what should they do with this couple that has had tried to steal a bison uh, out of America's life park? Life in prison, probably. Life in prison. Wow. That's a prison steep, known as Yellowstone Park. That's a steep price. <laughs> it seems like it seems, <laughs> all they wanted was a little bullet. That's right. It seems like in <laughs> a about little bullet. It, a little bullet. In about ten years, it seems like that baby will be its own, you know, its own problem. That cute little bison is going to turn into a mama bison, like bullet. And then you got to bite the bullet. It's damaged from this emotional. <laughs> Literally, emotional some people freak. will want to bite the bullet. <laughs> bison. By the way, bison meat is fantastic. Have you ever tried it? 
Yes, I have. I have not. Is it good? It's actually uh, supposedly pretty healthy too. Yeah, right? it's very very low. It's low marble fat. It's very good. Mm. And I'm I'm saying that right now as I stare at the cute little ba- baby bison <laughs> in the back of a van. Come here, boy. So anyway, you got to watch out for that. Here, little here, little buddy. Come here, bullet. Yeah, and that's the thing. What do you name your bullet? What do you name your bison? I mean, that's that's a whole show. Bullet's Ralphie. already taken. That's a whole show. Save hey, it. Save it. Control you, guys, you guys didn't watch any baseball uh, between the Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers, I will did you? I mean you if you bring that up again, Matt. I did. I did. <laughs> I watched the same six seconds probably seventy times in a row. Yeah, that was that was a that was a quite a punch thrown. Odor is his name. Yeah, Odor. Odor. You, you can smell him a mile away. He's going to be the next Old Spice uh, spokesman. <laughs> I'm on a horse. I'm on a bison. O- odor blocker. <laughs> he he punches Bautista for sliding into him. I guess. Jose Bautista breaking up the play. Is, He's just breaking has up. Has had play. it coming for a while. To be quite honest, has he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that was a legit right hook. Oh, cross yeah. or whatever you want to call it. But I'm pretty sure you're Bautista. Saying, you're saying Joseph the Baptist has had it coming. <laughs> I think it's a different yes. guy. It's different <laughs> than the one you're thinking of. I think. Not Baptista. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bat- a different Joseph the Baptist. Baptista, yeah. It's um. It, it was. It seemed like uh, Mr. Bautista. You know, will well. Maybe he will forget it because. It seems like that was a punch that he'll never forget. But well, Bautista was that, the guy. I don't know that he'll ever. He even if he wants to. He's the guy that flipped the bat, over, right? Over, he, yes. He's the f- bat flipper. After he hit that home run, he kind of did that Ooh-hoo, sassy bat yeah. flipping. Yeah. Baseball, old school. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. That was a pretty epic bat flip. Probably yeah. the most famous ever. It's like the only sport you can't actually celebrate in the moment. Yeah. They it was just so disrespectful to the opponent. I I don't care that Toronto had won its first series since '95. I I just I I can't. I hate. I don't <laughs> enjoy that. It's like relax. It's different if, if Bryce Harper is is mouthing beep you to the umpire, right? Ooh, yeah. That's different than Jose Bautista flipping a bat in a moment of excitement. Mm-hmm. One is totally uncalled for. The other is natural and celebratory and within the confines of the game. Come on. Well, so is a punch once in a while. <laughs> Sometimes you deserve Look, to be punched. Guess what? Robin Ventura. Guess what? And Nolan Ryan. If you're going to bat flip, you should be willing to take a punch to the jaw then. That's, That's so not a bad that point. That exists. Let, let's be clear here. Can you imagine ba- in basketball if they played it the same way? There oh are punches gosh. and brawls in basketball. No, though. Like if a guy dunks on you and like hangs on the rim and like yells in your face, like that's – Disrespect. Sorry, is bat flipping yelling in anyone's face? No, you're not it even looking kind at of the. It is though. That's why. It, that's why it's dumb. Because every I get an N one and I scream in excitement, high five my teammate. That's the same as a bat. But if flip. you do it in his face, Jose Bautista was staring down the pitcher when he did the bat flip. Mm. No, he was looking at the ball go out of left field. He was not staring down the pitcher. Let's, let's watch it again. It seems like the pitcher should have taken care of that himself. Talking about the play at the end of last year. Yeah. Hey, no, um, one thing, the- just just for the listeners that may have gotten lost, I, I'm on Wikipedia's page. Uh, I looked up Batman. A bat flip has nothing to do with Gotham City or anything in Batman. <laughs> probably a move by Batman. It might be. Totally. There's, pro- there's been a lot of comics. It's probably you guys, um, so we went from bullet to bat flips mm-hmm. to Bautista. Yes. What, uh, what are you guys going to talk about on your show? Is it going to be as good as that last 
three minutes? Um, no. Probably not. Probably not <laughs> as entertaining, that's for sure. It totally will be. <laughs> I know it will. I bet you got something about um, uh, the Big 12. Uh, Is that coming no, up? We no, may- today, luckily. Well, we have Matt Brown on from, from uh, SB Nation. Okay. He'll be talking to us We are about- going to talk about it, but it's not the trending topic today, luckily. Okay. What else? What else you got? We're going to talk to you about which BYU team won its eighth consecutive conference title over the weekend <laughs> and how that kind of sets the standard for the rest of the programs on campus, although there are some good programs. And which program, which team, needs to win a conference title this year? Mm. They haven't yet. In the WCC. Okay. And, w- and when you think they'll win that. so that's, that's a good topic. It's called a tease. You can probably guess what that team is. But that, that's, a, that's a good tease. And, 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 and you're going to bo- play one of our favorite games. It's called W-U-T. What? <laughs> can you we guys do that? You, so, we tell you something and then we discuss what? how silly that is. You, can you guys just do that <laughs> one more time? What's the name of the, what's the, name of the game? What? <laughs> that's the name of the game. Okay. We have now captured W-U-T. that audio and we will be using that. <laughs> That'll be perfect. Exactly. See how that works. Okay, guys. Well, it sounds like a great show. Knock them dead. And hey, when it gets when it gets rough, nobody needs to throw an odor punch. Nobody needs sometimes, to. Sometimes, sometimes people need to be punched, Matt. Sometimes, when the odor gets bad, you got to punch with a verbal kindness, right? Yeah. Just after which you show yeah. an outpouring. Then you come f- an outpouring of love. Yeah. Afterward, I'm fine with Jose Bautista doing that stuff if he's okay taking a punch to the jaw for being. A what little a, bit. What is this? Nineteen twenty? Come on! Oh boy, we started something. Have a great show, gentlemen. Let's wake up. Hey, knock him dead, and everybody. Do something t- more. Tune in at the top of the hour to see if this fight continues. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to disappear. Fight never stops, man. The fight never stops. <laughs> flip. This is this is an ongoing war. You know That's what good. I have to say about your coming? What? What? <laughs> see you guys. Have a great show. Knock Thanks, him sir. dead. Bison. <laughs> Bison. <laughs> Over and out. Yeah, uh, bison the bullet, bison the bullet, bullet the bison. Yeah, we got to get a better name for that that other bison, baby bison, baby backseat bison. Poor guy, never had a chance. Hey, um, you know, as we are wrapping this up, we're gonna do a little bad boy section. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to be a cop. I mean, it's hard to be a good guy, right? Listen to this. Uh, Authorities say a man tried to pay a $200 bond with counterfeit money, resulting in additional charges. The police department said Jarius Tremaine Mock was arrested after an officer on bike patrol saw him intoxicated and disruptive. As the officer was writing a citation for Mock, it was learned that he had an active warrant for failure to appear in court. In June of 2015, he was taken to jail where the magistrate set a bond of $200. And as he was producing the cash, he offered a $100, he offered, um, a $100 bill that was obviously counterfeit. Uh-oh. Mock was then charged with forgery, and his bond was changed to $2,000, police said. So just a little advice for you. If you're going to be paying for your bond... Don't do it in counterfeit bills that you created. I'm just – I mean I don't want to get down on you, but I'm just saying be careful. And as you know, we like to end the hero story and our hero of the day uh, is, is, a, is a beautiful seven-year-old girl, by the way, and her dog. Check this out. The DeLuca family rescued Haas, the German shepherd from a Florida animal shelter, right? They saved the German shepherd's life by rescuing it from the shelter and now the dog has returned the favor. 
The family is calling the recently adopted two-year-old dog a hero after he saved their seven-year-old daughter, Molly, from a possible bite from a venomous eastern diamondback rattlesnake. He kept jumping back and forth and then forward again and back again, and he did it three times. He had every opportunity to run, but he didn't run. Danya DeLuca told CNN affiliate WFLA she thinks the dog was protecting Molly, keeping himself between Molly, the seven-year-old child, and the snake. His act of bravery cost him, though. Haas was bleeding when he was taken to the vet in Tampa. When um, his leg was shaved, he had three bite marks. The dog is being treated with painkillers and anti-venom medication and is expected to recover, although he may have some kidney damage. Money donated via a fundraising website is helping to pay his expensive medical costs. So far, people have given almost $50,000, more than the family expected. Please, we have we feel we have plenty to care for Haas and his needs, said the website. Any money raised above the medical bills will go to the dog rescue operation and other charities, according to the Post. It shows you that a rescue dog... Uh, for us, paid it forward by protecting his family. So to the family, the Haas family, for rescuing the dog, and to the dog for rescuing the family, that's how it works, folks. Pay it forward, pay it back. That's the show, folks. We hope you have a, uh, you see the good in the world. It really is out there, and you're part of it. So until tomorrow, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>